Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 157. It's a lot of numbers, it's a lot of, a lot of episodes we've been doing. Uh, my name is NBZ, I'm joined as per the usual by my co-host, it is Bally. Hello Bally, how are you today? Hi NBZ, I'm, I'm feeling very, very jealous of your ah. celebrity experience oh, uh, yes. that you've had in the last few days. I know, yeah. Um, so, uh, those who no- don't know, uh, I went along to the uh, kind of funny world tour meetup in London in the UK. And um, uh, Greg Miller is a real man, and I have both shaken his hand and given him a, given him a hug. So, it was uh, it's a bit surreal. Um, very, very cool. A great experience. Met a lot of people there. Um, even some people who knew what the podcast was, which was fucking wild to me. Shout um, Shouts indeed, uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, I would I'd recommend people go along to things like that because you know it's very rare that you get to talk to people who know anything about video games in the same amount of depth uh, that we talk about a lot of times on this podcast. Um, so it's uh, we were it's... saying we're keen to do what do on one day. We're just yeah working out the best scenario to do it. Sure, when we have a million followers on Twitter, maybe uh, maybe we'll have enough people to, <laughs> to show up and say hello to us. Um, that would be cool indeed. Um, but yes, we are here, of course, to talk about the video games. Uh, and let's uh, let's tell the fine folks what the run of show is for today, Bally. First segment, we're going to be talking about a lot of games that we have been playing. Second segment is your listener emails. And the third segment, we are going to do a little bit of a preview of the Game Awards, which will be on December the 12th, uh, which, lucky for me, is the same date as the UK general election. Which, which is... means that Bali will be staying up all night I'm anyway, st- so you might as well <laughs> yeah. stay up and watch the Game Awards Two too. birds with one stone, so definitely. thank you, Jeff Keighley, for that. Yeah, cheers, Jeff, for just taking your time for Bali and Bali alone to put it out <laughs> on that day. Um, fantastic. So... Lots of video games have happened uh, in recent times. We have obviously had a big deluge of Nintendo stuff over the past couple of months. Um, you know, Luigi's Mansion we talked a lot about last time. and like uh, five months in a row. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's on the trot. Um, and it leads up to this one, uh, the big one, the Pokemon one, uh, that has apparently sold six million copies um, in the first three days or something like that, which makes it the fastest selling Switch game of all time. Um, and Do we know what that's like in comparison to other 3DS Pokemon games? So Sun and Moon sold more, but Sun and Moon sold more off the back of the fact that number one, 3DS and Soul Base was much larger. And number two, that was the year of Pokemon Go. So like you got a mm. lot of... Um, a lot of hanger on honors, I'll say, like people who got back into Pokemon through Pokemon Go, who were then like, "Oh, I want, I remember Pokemon. Let's play the real one again." Um, and I, I feel like probably a lot of those people have stuck around. Um, the fact that it is this popular, and obviously the Switch is, is this popular, makes it so that the game has done particularly well. Um, so, so yeah, it uh, it came out. I've been playing it. Uh, it's been about a week or so. I am about 20 hours into the game. I got Pokemon Sword. Um, this is your first Pokemon like playing through the main game since... Since X and Y, X I would say. Yeah. So it's been... It's you been only, you only missed one generation then. I did technically only miss one generation, yeah. Um, but for those of you who listen to the podcast and know the history that I have, obviously I was a competitive Pokemon YouTuber for like seven, eight years and uh basically got burned the hell out with the entire thing um all of pokemon everything um and so i was like i'm quitting i'm done uh, never coming back again couldn't even look at pikachu's face no yeah i slapped pikachu's face in fact i said <laughs> get out pikachu you don't belong here no more um and 
And so it's an interesting experience for me because I come from the perspective of someone who knows, like, who, who, I'm someone who looks at the Matrix and can see the image, right? Like, you know that point in the Matrix where it's, like, all ones and twos, and then people are like, I, I can see what's actually happening. Mm. Um, that is me uh, with Pokemon. Um, I, I see the artifice, I see the, the everything. You're a supercomputer. Um, I'm a supercomputer, almost, in that sense. Um, and so, like, for me, one of my biggest problems with the series was once I understood how to play the competitive game, the single player became the most boring fucking thing in the world because when you can manipulate everything to that extent it's just a cakewalk and there's no challenge and in a lot of senses those older games like post gen 4 weren't doing too much interesting like of course there were new pokemon and things like that but like storytelling in pokemon has never been good it's not to say that like i'm not against having a really easy rpg but i, I at least expect a really solid story or a cool spectacle and like or a that's world or that characters to... that you can sure. latch on to and... like the thing that i always go back to is for me with jrpgs it's the one genre where mechanics isn't number one on my list right like i i prefer xenoblade one and persona four to xenoblade two and persona five those sequels are both objectively mechanically for me better games they're better experiences from a battle standpoint and from a lot of the system standpoint but i still prefer those first two because the world the characters and the storytelling vibed with me so much more and that's what i remember from those experiences right um and i don't think you can say the same about pokemon pokemon is has never had that appeal Uh, and obviously growing up as kids we were into Pokemon for the reasons of we liked collecting monsters and, you know, evolving things and, and battling people and things like that. And it does feel like a cool adventure, like, at the time, because we hadn't been exposed to many other RPGs in a similar way. And I think totally. that's where it, you can find much more deep, interesting stories in RPGs now where Pokemon yeah. just hasn't caught up for a whole multitude of reasons well it's always been a game for kids right and and it never will be anything but that in in my opinion um in terms of just someone playing through the game itself um the thing that's interesting about pokemon is like you talk to people about competitive pokemon i don't think a lot of people understand the depth to which that shit goes right it is it's like chess but more complicated um and with so many different variables and possibilities uh so it's an interesting game because on the one hand it is directly marketed at younger audiences but the people who are fans and who grew up with the series have something else to latch on to like pokemon is kind of disney-esque like pixar-esque in that way because it does appeal to such this wide audience of people um i think greg miller made the point or might have been someone else on the podcast he was saying the older generation that it appeals to are actually just the people who grew up with Pokemon and now that they're totally. older, they still play it. And that it's not really appealed to a group outside of that. If you come to Pokemon after you are past your childhood, I find that those people who I've heard talk about it have a really tricky time getting into the series. And they're disappointed, yeah. And don't really see what the hype is and don't really understand why people like the series um so for sure i think that is definitely 
an interesting one because there are so many people in games media. The thing that I find with a lot of the podcasts I listen to and people who I follow is either they grew up with Pokemon and are an enormous it's basically, fan. Basically, are they our age or younger or our yeah. age and above? Because we're almost totally. like, the, we're the first generation. We're like the cutoff more or less. Um, and that's quite interesting. Yes, we are the cutoff point. So yeah, if you never grew up with Pokemon, you just don't understand it and you've never been into it, right? Um, even people who are big Nintendo fans, like I think of people like Dan Riker, who a huge Nintendo fan doesn't really. Yeah, and he's like a little bit older than us, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so all that preamble, right, to get to this new game, Pokemon Sword. And it's interesting because I think the Pokemon company, in terms of their marketing around the, the release, have been much more close to the vest. Uh, they didn't show the evolutions for all three starters before the game came out which is something they've done in the past right like as part of their strategy with Mm. with their marketing and they didn't really show that many new pokemon like there are a few like they had corviknight out there pretty early on um obviously the three starters they always show off but i i struggled to really find that much about the game until it got leaked and then i was like i just don't want to see anything because for me, I kind of wanted to go into this game like I've never done with a Pokemon before. And I was talking to you about this. I don't think I have ever gone into a Pokemon game not knowing all the Pokemon in there. Because the first generation was just this cultural phenomenon. So you watched the anime, you had the card game. So I got familiar with Pokemon before I even played the video game and knew everyone. Before Gold and Silver came out, I got this giant book from like Waterstones that literally showed it was really like knockoff art so it wasn't official artwork in any way but because the games had been out in Japan like they were just selling all these things and I saw all the Pokemon before it came out you know that was back in the day where people didn't know what Marl was called so they called it Pika Blue and I think that book I could probably dig it up from home I feel like it has a lot of fake names in there or like Japanese translated to English names that aren't really the English names that they ended up having um, which is kind of wild and then, you know, from that point onwards, I remember our friend Ali T, before Diamond and Pearl came out, he knew the six Pokemon that was going to be his team because we were on Cerebee and, like, we had all the information. So this legitimately is the first time going into a Pokemon game where I have had zero idea what any of the new Pokemon are. And what I have to say is that is the best thing about this game. By far, to me, the joy of just seeing something evolve or just seeing something in the wild or someone else use it is amazing because pokemon i've looked at it from a certain perspective for so long that i kind of forgot the joy of just seeing a new creature for the first time Um, and i think that sun and moon didn't have like an amazing set of new pokemon for you to experience you you kind of had um some cool ones but yeah i mean i had a very similar experience in that i didn't know much about sun and moon i barely knew any pokemon going in i played it blind it was my first pokemon in since diamond and pearl i think and it so i've had a fairly similar experience um and i really did enjoy pokemon sun um for those reasons uh but eventually it did get to a point where it was like yeah but now this is pokemon and i know what i'm doing and you felt like you were going through the motions yeah felt a bit like going through the motions stale is a strong word but it felt like a bit right i've i've had the the fun of getting back into this but now i'm back into it it is through the motions and it is quite that and i'm I'm interested if now that i think you're at you said you were at the sixth gym are you now feeling like you're back in the motions or like what's the start of the game feeling more fresh than the latter half 
I do, I don't know what it is about this game, but for some reason, I am fucking loving this game. Is it the region? Um, it, right, so that's the other thing to, to bring up, is part of the reason I jumped back into Pokemon is because this region that the game is set in, Galar, is based on the UK, right? And as we've said, I think that my opinion of Forza Horizon 4 is higher because I can drive around Edinburgh in Forza Horizon 4, right? Like, I don't think I would have played that game if I wasn't able to do that. Having representation of the place that you live in in a video game is really cool and it just doesn't happen that often uh with the uk uh for us like it's gonna happen again next year watchdogs legion is based in london which is awesome and i think untitled goose game this year as well right you could technically say it's like set in a in a uk village of some some type but it's just the little things right so seeing a post box like a red post box um or james turner the art director talked about this stuff in some of the so game informer did some coverage before the game came out and he was talking about the signs um and how the development team was putting up uh you know when you know when you're out in the uk and like there are sign post boards and things like that with tourist information and things like them Mm. uh, things like that on them he was saying a lot of the development team was putting up signs that looked more medieval in nature and he was like that's not actually like in modern uk that's not what signs look like like they have this particular style to them structure and so like the red sign boards that you see around the world feel very much like something you would see in the uk when you go to historic sites or things like that Um, and so it's those little touches like having those embellishments that call to the uk itself really invest me a lot more in terms of this region and the place um what i will say is like it, it looks a lot larger than it actually is so you get to towns where you will see these vast flowing fields one of my favorite things that i've seen is when you're driving around scotland or, or middle uh, of the uk or england in some extent the way fields are set up are very distinct in this country um they all have kind of different shades of color to them they're all at weird kind of angles they're not that um uniform and they're not always like the same shape or, or size but they're but yeah there's less space so you're like that's i agree it's something i notice a lot like in the states where there's just expanses of space it means that the fields are much more uniform and then in this country it's much more higgledy-piggledy because of right. just landowners and the borders but also like there's lots of mountainous areas or hilly areas where that stuff is necessitated and so you see these rolling hills in the background and it is pretty much identical to what you would see in terms of like farming land or like pasture for for animals um so those little parts are definitely helping um i wouldn't say that it necessarily means the game is a better game because of it but i think because my experience as being a british person um definitely endears me to the world a bit more um so what's what's the openness like and the like this is the first pokemon game i believe with the camera that you can like move 360 right yeah i it's interesting right because the this game seems to in some senses expand the scale of pokemon it seems like this is the first console game that you can play on a tv the world has to look a lot larger and and feel a lot bigger and that's kind of what i was getting at with the towns right it's like they look a lot larger they're not actually that much larger like that it is kind of mind-boggling to me that you go back to gen one and you look at the towns there and each house you go into you can't really interact with anything like you can turn on a tv you can search through a bin 
but you talk to a person and they're not really a character they're more like a they're a vessel for the game to give you information about the world unlike something like dragon quest 11 where i run around the town and each character gave me a sense of that world and their place in it and that they were a person whereas none of these feel like people and still to this day npcs in pokemon don't feel like real people because they'll have one line they say that feels completely out of context of anything um and doesn't make it feel like they live in this world right it just doesn't have that cohesion to it so it's mind-blowing you go into these houses that all look the exact same copy pasted with a couple of different things sometimes there's pokemon sitting on the sofa sometimes they're in different areas and i really like the design of those places and those spaces but the only thing you can do is turn on the tv or you can talk to someone and they say that one line or they'll give you an item um a lot a lot of the items in this game it so much of this game feels like a delivery mechanism to get you all the things you need to play competitive pokemon right because someone will give you um a wide lens or a focus sash or a choice scarf and all the secrets and hidden things in the world feel like either they're a tm that you're going to need or they're going to be an item that can be used in competitive or something of that nature and not necessarily something you would use or would be useful to a regular player who's just playing the game um so so a lot of the pickups feel that way because because at this point there are so many of those types of things like think about arceus arceus has like what 15 different plates it needs because to transform into all its different forms it needs like the fairy plate or the dark plate or the grass plate and i found the fairy plate and i'm thinking to myself god like if this is one item in the world i need at least 15 16 more items that are just plates for arceus right so I think for a lot of players, some of that discovery of, of finding a thing won't be as exciting because they're like, I don't... A focus sash? Like, from, if you just use that in the game, it's going to get used up and then you lose the item and it's a one-time use thing. That thing is specifically built for competitive play. Um, so so talking about the, the, the nature of the game being more open, that comes to pass with the wild area mainly. Um, so that's but it, one area, the wild it's area. W- one large area, and it's so the structure of this game is interesting because it's built in loops. So the first loop, this almost feels like Ocarina of Time. The first loop is the wild area is kind of in the center, and there are roots that go around it. I was about to ask, is it just like Hyrule Field? <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have that same impact, you know. Like it, it, we've seen stuff like this before in video games for years and years. So it's maybe in that sense, it's not going to blow your mind. Um, but you use the second stick to control the camera, which is something you can't do in the rest of the game. And so it's, it's this weird thing when you're on a regular oh, route. It's the only it, part of the game. Yes. Where, oh my god! Right. Exactly. I realized. Right. So you can't. So when you go into a town, it's a fixed perspective on that town, mm. um, or a route. It's a fixed perspective on the route, so you can't actually swing the camera anywhere. Uh, whereas in the wild area, you can. Um, so there, there is this kind of weird disconnect that happens sometimes where you'll move from one space to the other and like oh i tried to move the stick but it doesn't do anything um so it feels a little jarring so that area is really cool i spent a lot of time in that area when i first started the game because for the first time right i don't know what sun and moon was like but story wise it feels like pokemon has been trending in this direction of we're doing more and more cutscenes. We're focusing more and more on legendaries and like mythology and like world ending stakes and things like that the first time since gold and silver probably this game is just about a journey of being the best pokemon trainer it's about beating a gym challenge and that's pretty much it there's 
there's a little bit of a legendary thing set up at the start very start of the game but outside of that it's pretty straightforward so the thrust of this game for me has really been that amazing joy of discovery of finding new pokemon and having the game kind of let go because the game still has a bit of hand holdiness to it you'll always walk out of a gym and like Sonya will be there who's the daughter of the professor in this game and she's on her own journey so she's the one who's kind of doing a little bit of the mythology of the world like legendary stuff but it's light it's not too like in depth or anything so she'll be there to have a conversation with you or one of your rivals will pop up there's the rivals are like three rivals and they each represent kind of a different version of pokemon like hop is the worst he's a he's a He's like the really nice best friend idiot guy who picks that he instead of being the traditional rival who picks the starter who's strong against you he picks the one that's weak against you um which just gives you an easy time just, just rolling over him the whole game um and he kind of feels like the kind of protagonist they brought in in x and y which was we're all friends really and we're rivals but we're really actually really good friends and it's kind of just like a friendly rivalry thing versus like gold and silver where that dude was literally an asshole like he was a fucking dick (laughs) um and gary was also kind of a dick like less so than you know redhead dude in gold and silver but there is a rival in this game who, who we've forgotten the name of because we just called him all sorts of swear words at the time oh exactly yeah i called him fuck like that was <laughs> why i did um or there was a lot of people i saw who just called him question mark question mark question mark because that's what they say and then they thought that was what his name was which is very weird um but there's a rival who is more similar to that type of rival as well called bead who is just a complete asshole um which i like i appreciate that they brought that back into the series although i do think he's going to go on a heel turn kind of actually become a your friend whatever because you know it's kind of the way they've been going and then there's another trainer who she's the one who has the team and the team's not like an evil dominating team they're just basically football hooligans they're fans of her so her name is marnie and i think she's welsh like it feels like the dialect is written in in a sense that if you spoke it with a welsh accent all those kind of have there been any scottish references yet some music there's a bit of a northern part of the wild area which feels like there's bagpipes in there i'm not 100 percent sure um but i haven't really come across too many scottish dialects yet um there's a lot of maybe they're just saving it for the end you know like the final right right yeah yeah there's a lot of um london slang like ding 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 hello editing nvz here i keep saying london slang which isn't really the right term for it it's cockney rhyming slang Uh, so whenever i say london slang in this episode just imagine i'm talking about cockney rhyming slang because the actual phrase didn't come to my mind at the moment cool back to the show ding 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 hop at one point said i'm cream crackered and i'm like okay maybe i'm on board with hop now because <laughs> that was real good but he also is like mate all the time he'll always drop mate into a sentence um so they have taken care i think in terms of like a lot of it is a little bit stereotypical but it, I, i'm kind of there for it you know i'm fine with him using uh you know london slang it it it's kind of good in that way um and yeah and so that said right all this expansion and making the game larger having the wild area there are jarring elements to it the opening cutscene is like 
because this game in terms of the gym challenge they're all like big football arenas and so you have a huge crowd watching you when you're fighting the gym leader and of course the dynamaxing which is kind of the gimmick of this game is all about making the huge pokemon so the arena gets filled with these giant things like smashing each other in the face this game feels like it should have voice acting because the game opens on this grand cutscene with the chairman of the Pokemon League and he's standing in this huge arena and like there's a sound of crowd and like there's music and then you feel like someone's gonna shout out loud and like give this real big speech and then it's like silence and it's just text on the screen and it just flops immediately <laughs> it just has all this build up and then it's like there's no voice acting <laughs> And it's really weird. Like, it really just threw me off. Um, a similar thing just happened. I just beat the sixth gym. And the gym leader is a... Like, a rock star, almost. Um, he's on stage, like, performing a concert. And, it, like, you see his mouth moving and him moving around. And there's nothing coming out of it. Like, there's this really weird bedded music underneath. And there's, like, a crowd around him. But there's nothing. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Game Freak? It's really weird. Um... <laughs> And I do think that that's just, it's like Nintendo generally, where they are so reticent to push forward with stuff like voice acting. They, they're they almost afraid of it in a way because I don't think they're particularly good at it. You know, games like Breath of the Wild, where they did try, but to be frank, the voice acting in that game, like a character like Mifa especially, god awful, like really rough in terms of the voice acting department. Um and there are rare instances where they get it right. Like, I've talked so much about the original Xenoblade Chronicles, how well that localization was handled and how, how good the voice acting is in that game. Or Kid Icarus Uprising. And they do have these examples in recent times where they've done a good job. Pokemon feels like a series where it, it's so big. Like, that's the thing. And I think that's the complaint so many people have is this game feels like it should be this enormous step forward like nintendo have been doing with a lot of their franchises but it's not and so many people are angry about the game right like dexit and like you the model they're like oh they didn't really do the models and all this bullshit that the stupid internet gets angry about like clearly that vocal minority didn't change a thing because this game sold better than anything on switch so far and i do see where some people are coming from in terms of wanting the series to evolve wanting to be bigger but Game Freak are not equipped to do that, right? This is the first, aside from Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, which was a much smaller scope game because it's built on the foundation of something they've already made multiple times. It's really their step into HD development for the first time. And you think about the studio, who their entire history has been on handheld platforms with the DS and 3DS and GBA and all these these consoles, which are low power and don't require art assets at such a high fidelity, to make that jump, essentially making a jump from 3DS to Switch is kind of like going from GameCube to like 360. Eh, I guess that's a bad comparison. Maybe like, it's almost like, it's this middle era between N64 and GameCube to full, like post 360, like almost, it's, just, it's weird, because Switch is like middle between last generation and this generation. Mm. But it's a huge leap. It's a real big jump for a, for a studio like that and that studio is really small like they make one of the biggest games in the world but they're really small and they they haven't expanded because i think that you know some studios don't like to do that because it changes their culture or whatever and it, and it makes it the, the way they approach games different but you, like, you look at a game like dragon quest 11 where it is much more open it's still colorful it's still aimed at yeah. a pretty family-friendly audience in the same way pokemon is and 
you just have to step back and realize that Square Enix have been doing this for a very long time and they have a yeah. much bigger budget for these kinds totally. of things. And they, it's exactly. just like wanting Pokemon to be something like that. You can want it, sure, but they're not in a position to ever deliver that without substantial change and, you know... Right. Or if Nintendo uh, are saying, okay, we need another development studio working on this, or... But I think the problem is so many of these decisions come down from the Pokemon company. And the Pokemon company we talked about before is just a weird fracture of all these different entities vying for control of the franchise. And I think in the Pokemon company's mind, they're the people who deal with the finances. And if they are looking at Game Freak and seeing them make a game like this which doesn't really move the needle in terms of innovation or anything particularly grandiose and it still sells this much and it continues to sell this much there is literally zero reason for them to commit to that the reason breath of the wild had to do something so bold was because skyward sword on an install base of 100 million wii's sold 3 million copies but but even zelda like nintendo no matter how successful the last zelda was they might make a sequel to a successful Zelda, absolutely like a Majora's Mask or, you know, that kind of thing. But Mario and Zelda, in terms of Nintendo franchises, they, they choose to constantly reinvent them on purpose, regardless almost sometimes of how successful the previous one was. Yeah, no, that's true. And it is interesting because Nintendo has the dichotomy of they've got series like Animal Crossing and Pokemon that stay the same, whereas series like Mario and Zelda constantly change. Yeah, and um, even something like Fire Emblem has become slightly more iterative yeah than... fire emblem's kind of in this in-between area where it's like not quite as bold yeah but... and I, th- I think a lot of their series are in between like a luigi's mansion you know it's a bit in sure yeah. yeah 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 um so yeah so so again like I've, I've been taking a long way around this kind of talking about a lot of different aspects about how they're making the game larger and feel larger what i'll say is because they do take off the reins for a, pretty early in the game maybe it's an hour in or maybe an hour and a half that you get to the wild area that freedom i haven't felt in a pokemon game for such a long time just huge space run into something that's really high level and it could just fuck you over like it could just murder your whole team and you're done for that's very much like another like traditional rpg yeah totally um it's like xenoblade chronicles like on gower plains and you run into that giant fucking like pig thing and it's like level 90 and you're like well i'm fucked i'm just gonna die and go over to this other place um and I really appreciated that because the wild area is big. It feels a little barren, right? Like, it, of course it does. But there are different sections. Like, you'll go to an area where it's raining or it'll be hailing. Like, the weather systems are kind of built around it. And the, so here's the core change to Pokemon. The grass is no longer random. Obviously, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee made all the Pokemon visible on the map. This game does a bit of a compromise situation where... You get to a patch of grass and you'll see maybe three different types of Pokemon hopping about. Like there's, there'll be a Hoot Hoot, um, there'll be like an Octillery, there'll be like a Snorunt. They'll all be like run, running around. But there'll also be patches of grasses that shake um, or like have an exclamation mark pop up for them. And in those, you'll often find Pokemon that you can't see on the map itself like they just won't show up on the map ever but they'll be kind of hidden within the grass so so it it is a sense that you don't need to worry about running through grass and getting random encounters it's kind of taken that away which i appreciate because i think that a lot of people got frustrated with that system um it's it's a thing from rpgs that i think needs to 
go away generally and pokemon was one of the last bastions that was still doing it like at this point dragon quest shows all the enemies on the map and and final fantasy has always been doing different things like that game is much more action based this at this point so it's very different but like um octopath traveler is one that actually regresses somewhat because that it keeps random battles um, and i was a little bit surprised with octopath traveler that it didn't adopt a bravely default mode where in bravely default you could turn off random encounters or you could mm. turn them really high up like there was a there was like a literal switch in bravely default that allowed you to change the frequency of random encounters so if you were going through a dungeon and you got to a boss and then you died and you're like oh i've got to go through the whole fucking dungeon again at least in bravely default you could just turn off all the encounters and just get straight to the boss again um so for me it's a good change because it catches your eye you're like oh there's a pokemon i've not seen before so like a new one and you can go and catch it but then you you feel like you want to hang around the area like it it incentivizes you by saying okay here are the pokemon you can see but like hang around a bit and maybe you'll find something that you've not seen before that's hidden in the grass Um, and I, i didn't actually realize that that was a system i thought it was only the pokemon that was showing up that i could catch i didn't realize that the the kind of question marks popping up because i thought the question marks were from the pokemon themselves that were already there i didn't realize until maybe i don't know 10 hours in that that was the case so I, i probably missed a bunch of pokemon in the early areas and the weird thing is i feel motivated to go back to those places and find them because they could be things i've never seen before um there's certainly a lot of surprise in just i i think the quality generally in terms of the new stuff has been really high from what i've seen my entire team thus far is comprised of totally new things um and i love it it's got a great diversity in terms of my typing um and i love a lot of the new designs they're so weird and some of them are just they feel like the sort of thing that you haven't seen recently in pokemon like sun and moon i look at and there's so many like weird bugs that don't have too much personality or like a lot of because i'm I'm coming across some sun and moon pokemon as well and i'm like I, there is a distinct difference i think in the quality of the designs from sun and moon to the quality in sword and shield i do think it's a step up from my experience um and i love that i still don't know so much um i i have been spoiled by some things because twitter as soon as the game comes out like you have maybe a one day to two day window before people are like fuck it here's what i'm like posting videos of the pokemon camp and stuff like that um so it you know it, it takes a little bit of that magic away because i have been spoiled on some things but still like i came across something last night and i was like the fuck is that you know like it's 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 great to just have that instant reaction um and i i think it's something that i was missing from the franchise which i didn't realize i was missing it until i decided to play the game this way um but yeah there's there's i mean the game feels so much more streamlined there are in terms of your inventory everything's you know they've kind of refined it over the years but they've now got a category that a lot of other rpgs have which is like sell this shit basically it's an inventory that's called treasure and you get you pick up a bunch of items that you can literally just sell for money um and you don't need to worry about anything else with them they don't do anything else um and you can just sell them and make a bunch of cash and cash is interesting in this game because there's a lot of customization you can buy hoodies and shirts and hats and all these different things and i love the customization one of those other reasons that i chose to play as a female character as opposed to a male character is that I feel like you just get so many better options as a female character in games like this in terms of, you know, things that you can put on your character. Uh, So that's why I went that route, because I just think it's more interesting and there's more fun things that you can, you know, 
buy and, and wear and, and everything and i've been constantly going into the shops and spending money and like changing my look depending on the area so i was recently in a snow town and i was wearing you know i had like a skirt and some other like t-shirt on and i get to this cold town and i'm like oh kind of feel like i'm cold in this area so i went to the shop and like bought like one of those russian style hats that's really warm and like a, a hoodie and like some gloves and things like that so i am styling myself around the area which is something i didn't expect i would be doing but for whatever reason the customization stuff is really hitting with me um and then you have just this freedom of movement as well with they give you the ability to just fly almost instantly um their removal of tm has been the thing for the oh, hm sorry has been the thing for a while right like sun and moon didn't have any of that stuff in it did it uh no there's like pokemon that how do you explain it like yeah you can just do it with a pokemon that it doesn't count as in being in your team anytime essentially right like flying yeah. surfing so there's always a lapras you have on hand that you can yeah use to traverse basically yeah. water yeah this streamlines it even more because your bicycle is very multi-purpose so you can be riding your bike on land and you can literally just ride it straight into the water and that's it just really inst- cool it instantly transforms into a water bicycle and that change is huge because you think about like the time wasted where you previous games like think about red and blue you walk up red to the water blue, yeah. open the menu click on pokemon click on the pokemon that has the hm press the hm say do you really want to use this on the water yes now you're on the water that is a world of difference to now you're just literally treating it like another piece of land you're just going onto it Mm. um and yeah and i think there's a little bit of personality taken out of the game in terms of like when you're flying to places this feels like a cut corner like something that they never do in the other pokemon games is there's always an animation that you hop on a pokemon you fly away there's no animation it literally goes to a menu and like blanks and you're just there like far it's basically fast travel mm, even though they weird. yeah they put it under the guise of like it's the corvanite taxi service and i'm like oh this will be cool cut scene of corvanite picking me up but actually like it loses the personality but also i think it's done probably in favor of streamlining because you don't have to load a cutscene every time you can just warp there instantly um so i'm a little bit split on that but in terms of just moving around the place it's so much easier and i think one of the most interesting things about this game you know i I think it is so geared towards the competitive mindset in terms of making things so much more easy and open for people to look at like you can do infinite vitamins so you remember back when you're ev training in in diamond and pearl yeah there was a maximum cap in terms of like protein and calcium and stuff like that you could feed a pokemon uh, you know you could feed them 20 calcium but after 10 it would stop doing anything the maximum was 100 evs that you could gain from giving them that stuff mm-hmm. now it's infinite you can give them as many as you want and you can max out at 252 wow. technically, technically essentially just breeding for ivs and there's not you're not actually ev training you're just... yeah you i mean you don't need to i don't know how expensive all that stuff is but it seemingly you can just use vitamins to max out stats or just like get evs where you need them to be without having to grind it out um in any way um, and obviously you know there's that kind of stuff gets a bit more messed up because there's now the system where there's no option to turn off xp share which fuck me man people in the pokemon community who are angry about this shit i do not understand you in any fucking way like if this was any other rpg like the game i always bring up octopath traveler where it fucking doesn't level you with your party members this should be a feature of every goddamn rpg i hate 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 it when 
they leave party members behind or someone is really underleveled because it just lessens your ability to use everyone, right? One of the amazing things about Chrono Trigger is that party levels with you all the time. And so you feel like you should change your party up and experiment. Whereas with games like Pokemon in the past, it's like you feel like you have to stick to your core team of six. And in this game, I've been able to, like, I all my Pokemon are, like, level 25, and I got a new one, and I was like, oh, this thing seems cool, but it was level 1. But its typing was awesome, like, it was poison electric, and I'm like, that's great typing, I want to use that thing. And so I popped it in my party, and it just sat there for the whole game, and now it's caught up. Now it's the same level as everybody else because of the XP share, and I can legitimately do that now, which is really good like uh, the streamlining streamlining continues because you have pokemon boxes accessible anywhere so i can just be anywhere and just swap things out of my box i don't need to go to a pokemon center the pokemon center has a guy at the counter who will change your nickname and be the move relearner none of this heart scale bullshit not not no having to grind to get heart scales to go to a guy to relearn a move and you have limited ones that you can do and it's like treated like a precious resource you just do it you can just rename anything, you can just relearn any move no matter what. It's that flexibility, and that is the thing, this game's strength more than anything, is that freedom and flexibility in every aspect. It, it really wants the player to have a, a smooth time um, and remove all barriers in, in terms of so many of these aspects, so... I've been loving it. I think it's just... And, and I, I like the world a lot, you know. I, I do think the towns are barren. But there will be... You know, I, I talk about how you walk into these rooms and there's nothing there. I walked into a room in a hotel area in the snowy town. And I walk in on basically a sherlock holmes style detective guy who's trying to figure out a mystery of who ate the berries and there's these three suspects standing there and like you talk to all of them and like it's this little mini cutscene that happens and it's this random room in this hotel and if i didn't go there i would have missed it so it feels like that little carrot on the stick to be like yeah i probably should still explore everywhere because some random npc will give me a choice band and all this stuff i'll get eventually for for snooping around and finding hidden items and uh and things that are all all over the place so um nice. so yeah it, it feels worth worthwhile to do that stuff um another streamlining thing i only figured out yesterday uh they no longer lose health if they're poisoned when you're running around you can run around and i don't know if they added that in sun and moon they might have done but i could i don't think i could ever tell and it might yeah. have been the case that it just didn't. i decided to do uh, figure out well i got poisoned and i didn't heal myself straight away so i was like well i wonder if i'm gonna get like what it, what the screen will look like when it does the kind of like losing health yeah and it didn't happen and i opened my menu and i rode around a bit and i was like nope my health is still the same so it's it doesn't do that anymore which sure like that was kind of a bullshit thing in rpgs all over the years that poison would hurt you like i don't think it really added any strategy really it was just an annoying thing that mm. you just were like fuck just get me to the pokemon center already yeah um but yeah, and there's lots of other aspects that I haven't touched on. Things like Dynamaxing and the raid battles, which I've done a little bit of. Um, they seem like ways for you to get Pokemon. Like, there's the difference between Dynamaxing and Gigantamaxing. Dynamaxing is just they're big. Like, they're just big Pokemon. Uh, Gigantamaxing is they're big, but also they look different. So, one of the new Pokemon, Alcremy, which is like a cream Pokemon. Um, and to evolve it, you have to... like. To evolve the thing that it evolves into, you have to spin your trainer around in a circle like you're mixing a bowl of, you know, a cake mixture or whatever. It's really, There's some real stupid ways that wow. Pokemon have evolved over the years. Like in, um, 
was it X and Y with Malamar where you had to hold your 3DS upside down uh, while no they leveled this. up? Yeah, so you had to literally hold your 3DS upside down while they leveled up in order to evolve because the Pokemon was all about topsy-turvy and like upside down stuff. Um, so they have those random ways of evolving. Uh, I lost my train of thought completely. Um, but yeah, so, so Gigantamax, and that's what I was talking about. So it changes their form. And so Alcremy just turns into this giant wedding cake um, instead of its regular form. Um, so I don't know what that does. I'm sure it has some com- competitive um, aspects. I've uh, I've been seeing some people say some stuff online, like if you Dynamax and also have a choice item, you're no longer locked into your choice, which seems fucking broken, right? Like a, a choice banded thing that isn't locked in and also is dynamax and also gets the boost from the choice band while also being able to freely choose its moves that seems a little bit ridiculous so i think that wow. uh smogon and places is going to be doing some complex bands on some of those things because they like if, if nintendo allow those things in competitions it's like what's the even what's even the point everyone's going to rock up with choice items on everything and dynamaxing the shit out of it so uh that seems so you can dynamax anything but you can you can only gigantamax some things is that right well yeah so so only certain pokemon have different forms um so like charizard has a different form that's gigantamax version or alchemy has one that's so not every pokemon has an alternate form some of them do um and you you have to catch a pokemon that is that has the ability to gigantamax so certain i i have a pokemon that could gigantamax into a different form but i don't think it's a gigantamax variant of it like i'd have to catch a gigantamax specific one in order to do it okay um so yeah that's that's basically how it works and yeah the raid battles i haven't been able to connect with any other real human uh, so i've just had npcs seems like some weird online stuff with the wild area apparently um i tried a little bit and i realized this but if you turn on wi-fi or you turn on the internet connection in the wild area you'll see people in your game just running around the wild area you can't really interact with them that they'll be running around but what it also does is it fucking tanks the frame rate like real 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 bad frame rate problems if you have online enabled while you're in the wild area Um, otherwise the game runs really nicely you know it looks really nice Um, I, i have actually been quite struck by the soundtrack the music is really good like in a way that pokemon music hasn't been for a while the gym battle soundtrack is fantastic Proper good um, metal rock songs yeah and also that wild area like i was telling you the bagpipes there's this really good track that has what i think is bagpipes in like the northern area of the wild area map and really really good stuff i um i, I think that it's a step up in terms of the quality of of uh, the soundtrack definitely um has, has improved quite a bit but um yeah i mean it's it's weird right because fundamentally it's pokemon it's not doing anything new it's not doing anything different it's still bare bones story wise and yet i still really like it i i'm still enjoying myself a lot there's there's a joy to having like not being the person anymore who just bashes through the story to get to the end so i can play competitive because that's what i did for fifth gen and for sixth gen and it, it just kind of sucked the fun out of the game right like it really just i i haven't played a pokemon like this since i played blue or gold and silver where all i'm doing is finding things i want to catch leveling things up you know i i feel a compulsion to complete the pokedex um and i've never done that before i know you did it obviously back in third gen but um there is something about the limited nature of the pokedex that actually makes it feel achievable you know like if they had put everything in this game 
I don't think that that would have crossed my mind, but it feels no, exactly. a bit more achievable this time. So, so yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely into it. Um, shout out to Ball Guy. Ball Guy is an N- best fucking NPC in this game. He is a man who looks like he has the skin color of the Wii Fit trainer, like that weird gray skin, and his head is a fucking cartoon Pokeball. Like, he has giant eyes, and his head is just a fucking Pokeball. Why? Um, I don't know. He's like a mascot. I, he's And you talk to him when you go to a gym challenge, and he gives you a new Pokeball. It's really weird. He's fucking creepy as hell, but I love him. It's, it's just... It's weird. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's not really... I, I could keep talking about different aspects, but I think I kind of got across my point that, you know, this game is a lot of fun. It's, it's it's Pokemon, not, but it's quite a bit more fun you're having it's with Pokemon, it than you but thought like, you might have. Yeah, totally. I am really into the game. I'm taking my time with it, just soaking it all in. Um, I'm loving it. It's it's great. So, yeah, uh, I feel like I got a lot got a lot said there. Let's move on to the next game, which Bally you have been playing quite a bit of. Um, I beat a co-op game with Caroline that came out very recently on the Switch, exclusive to the Switch. That is The Stretchers, uh, yes. which is made by Tarzier Studios, who apparently are Swedish uh, and have worked on Little Nightmares. Yeah, uh, which came out on Switch recently, I think. Oh, um, really? It's like a 2D, it's like a horror 2D platformer. It's like scarier than inside so that's like inside is kind of my level of uh intensity and yeah i've seen some stuff from little nightmares i'm like i don't think i want to play they this. also worked on tearaway unfolded on ps4 and little big did planet, they really little big wow. planet 3 and little big planet on vita oh, wow, um, okay. and the dlc for two so huh well it seems like i've played quite a lot from them then in that case <laughs> yeah and and in a way, you do kind of notice that there's a lot of those ragdoll physics that happen in a game like um, Little Big Planet that you do see sure. in this game, and, and Little Nightmares. Not that I've played that game either, but so 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 give me the setup for this game. So sure, it, this game got announced really recently, and it was yeah. interesting because it feels like another situation like we had at the launch of the Switch with Snipperclips, where it's Nintendo partnering with an indie studio and publishing this game. Yeah. Um, and it's a co-op-focused game as well, similar right. to Snipperclips. So you play as two medics who have the ability to carry a stretcher. Um, you can also carry stuff without your stretcher. Um, and the aim of the game is to drive your ambulance to these locations, and then you basically work together to put what are called dizzies. So dizzies are just people who have been dizzied essentially by are they sick or are they knocked out like they've been like they've just had they've just looked at this guy's hat the main villain in the game wears this hat that makes people dizzy okay Um, and and it basically knocks them out and turns them into essentially like a corpse but they're just a knocked out body that you have to move from wherever you find them into your ambulance and then so it's kind of like justification for them like ragdolling all over the place that's excuse for them to be ragdolled without being corpses um and then taking them back to the hospital to de-dizzify them okay Uh, so it starts out quite simple and you just might see six people you drive your ambulance you should i should say you drive the ambulance in like this open world and then when you get there you get out and then all of a sudden the level becomes locked and you've got 12 minutes like to get the bonus points for that level and you have to load up the normally five or six people 
onto your ambulance and then you drive to the the hospital so and and i'm right in saying that like if you get multiple people on the stretcher at once and then right them into the ambulance you get like bonus points for getting like five in a row or whatever you get loads of points so me me and caroline's strategy was let's pile up a big pile of bodies and then we're just going to get our stretcher and sweep through all of and there's like this neat like almost magnetic feeling to the stretcher when you're carrying it that they will kind of flip themselves onto it uh and you get like fat people as well as like slimmer people and the fat people you can you need two people to actually just move them at all whereas okay. the, the slimmer people one person can just drag them without the stretcher but the stretchers like really you, you can move much faster when you carry them on the stretcher so as the puzzles get tougher and there's more obstacles but i mean the obstacles like you get say i'm on like a building site and there's like a swinging swinging crane or something and they they do get more and more intense and faster Um, if i get hit by this swinging crane i get minus 10 points but i guess the the other downside is i get launched like to the other side of the level often and like this Uh. really hilarious like slapstick just ragdoll effect which happens to the two characters you play as when you get hit is that bad because you get rated on how fast you do it as well is there a time bonus no no that's the thing you've got you've normally got your 12 or 15 minutes whatever for the time bonus and and that's worth ten thousand points and if you don't get that you don't get that you just the level plays on it's not like there's a time limit yeah Uh, and there you get like minus 10 points for getting hit by say like an animal or a swing swinging plank or something is there is there any incentive to actually do well in terms no exactly that's what i'm saying because for me like me and you we didn't grow up in the era of like space invaders and shit where the reason you got high scores was to brag about it to friends like this doesn't seem like a game like that at all so i'm kind of wondering like why what's the point in even worrying about the points in that case and i think that's where this game probably appeals to quite a, a wide demographic where you, it is a game you could play with someone who's very young perhaps because it isn't like overcooked where you are under great de- amount of pressure to get like at the very minimum a one star which in some cases can be really difficult this game it just says here's the level you can beat it in that time if you want but if not that's fine too and oh you get minus 10 points every time you get hit by that swinging thing and it's like sure it's very relaxed in that sense so and and the game's only about maybe four hours long so it doesn't overstay its welcome and things ramp up where there's like one level where you're cutting down trees or using a saw that you're each of you are carrying together and then there's like a another level where you're using bombs to like bomb structures to release areas and get your guys um down shoots and things and like it it does ramp up and it's it's nice being in this one open world that they then just block off like that feels this game could have easily just been sections of levels like an overcooked and there's something quite cool about the world building of having this open world that you drive around in a very cool like animal crossing wild world style of rotating world if that makes sense like it feels yeah. like you're on a big rolling pin kind of feeling yeah which... it, uh, in terms of because i watched a bit of the quick look and it, it seems almost a simpsons hit and run level of space that you're exploring so that's to say a more uh, a less open open world like a more yeah it's it's sort of open world circa 2001 era style um but it certainly looks a lot ni- nicer than that um sure and you unlock two bridges that unlock the rest of the level later and then the actual final boss is like this there's upgrades you get to your ambulance which is very cool that i won't spoil um okay that, uh make traversal 
different. So, so is there like more gameplay associated with that traversal aside from just getting from one place to the other? Yeah, there's a couple. There's a there's about three levels. I reckon the whole game is maybe I don't know twenty twenty five levels long, and there's three levels where it's specifically like driving skill and like using the ambulance to like get from a to b in a certain amount of time um which is fun like it's not this because one person's always driving and the other person has the ability to use the um the improvements to your ambulance which i don't want to spoil because th- yeah there's two different improvements and they both do different things which is cool so hmm. yeah it's it's really fun like it, cool. it, it I, I it's not the level of overcooked for me but um it's certainly below that and i'd also rate stuff like lovers in the dangerous space time a bit more fun personally but right yeah i was gonna ask like how is the co-op do you have to do much communication or is it pretty self-explanatory as you go through because you can actually play this game single player and it's basically like brothers a tale of two sons oh, where you really? control Ooh, yeah. each character mm. with one stick each yeah you're doing so it feels like you're doing enough where I wouldn't want to play it with by myself with like two sticks. I think that would feel okay. like overload. And but at the same time, it doesn't feel like you're not doing much if you are playing cop. Like you are still doing stuff and like picking up and uh, putting down the stretcher and picking up people and stuff. And there are like switches and things to the levels. There's like banks and. Uh, uh, museums and these levels with like sliding doors and um shoots not shoots what am i trying to say like uh walkways Slides. walkways that move escalator things that oh. are flat walk, uh walk, walking, moving 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 walls. walkways there we go um <laughs> something like that that you get like an airport that um so you, there's often a level designed where there's like a moving shoot all the way through the level and then you can just lob the bodies into that shoot and they'll, oh, and they'll okay. find them all at the end and so it, it is really fun and there's so many moments me and Caroline were just laughing out loud with like the physics of just bodies flying all over the place yeah this this seems like a kind of physical comedy type of thing that you would particularly enjoy yeah it's it's very funny at times and often you're just like twisting people's limbs or they drop or so the, the environment blows them up and they fly across level and it's very much my kind of comedy at times it's very hilarious um and uh, it's short it doesn't overstay its welcome it's fairly simple um i would say it doesn't mix up the formula a ton in the short space of time it, it's there but you kind of know what you're getting in a way so like I, I wouldn't call out too much on that and it's not like it's a nine hour long game like you can beat it very quickly so yeah. i'd highly recommend it it's it's not the best co-op experience i've ever had but it's a very fun one and ragdoll physics are if you're into that that sort of thing like this game is very fun i would say there was one level where we were completely stumped and it turned out that one of the escalators that was meant to shoot us, like shoot our person up onto another level, just wasn't working. It wasn't... And it glitched out? It was, wasn't shooting us. It, gl- it glitched or something, and we had to yeah. reset the level. So that was a bit annoying. Yeah, but... the game doesn't seem overly polished. It, it doesn't seem to have that similar level of quality that Snipperclips had in terms of its um, just general attention to detail no absolutely not and i guess it is harder to polish something when it is so ragdoll in the way that this game is like it does sure there's definitely some areas where you can definitely get your people stuck in places or there's some corners like there are these pigs in the in the game that will like hunt you down essentially like they ram into you and really like if you're holding the stretcher that will just knock it out of your hand and there's points where you're kind of behind a building 
and you're trying to pick up a body using the stretcher and there's a pig charging at you and you can't really see it and it's like oh this is horrible like i need to get the pig to go over there to go back to the corner that i can't see the body to pick up the body to get it to the ambulance and so on so right it's just streamlining and yeah some it's yeah. there's some rough areas but nothing you could play the whole game and not notice any of them to be honest like you yeah. have to be unlucky to find some of those and it's cool. a cool game i highly recommend um i've also been playing nice. a game that you have beaten mbz yeah. so i'll let you take the lead on this one no you go for it man Just give me your right. hot thoughts real quick what is your take on star wars jedi, jedi fallen order. order the second respawn entertainment game to be released this year hell of a year they've had i'll tell you um it's games it's, like it's, it's a star game, wars game it's a very good star wars game it's it's games like this that made me buy a ps4 it's the kind of stuff that you just don't see coming to nintendo systems generally and i'm only four or five hours in uh and i'm really loving it there are, like it's it's i'm obviously a huge star wars fan and i think that's giving it a ton of credit for me personally yeah and they, uh-huh and I love the story. I love the characters. I love the world building, the world design. I think the fighting itself with the lightsaber feels fantastic, like uh, on the majority of enemies that I've faced. Uh, My gripes with the game so far are... It's a combination of the fact that there are some very glitchy aspects. Like I've had like enemies in walls, enemies levitate yeah. towards me that definitely don't use the force. And, uh-huh. um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, you could explain that away in a yeah, Star Wars exactly. context, really. And it's just really. kind of like dying and then respawning enemies, being some issues. Uh, and then on top of that, Cert, cert one group of enemies in particular i was talking about with you on whatsapp uh, i was finding very difficult and the combination of them being quite glitchy and also quite hard and i've never really played a dark souls style game and i know there's sure huge aspects of this that are very dark soulsy so that combination of the difficulty ramping up at points and a little bit glitchy has been a bit frustrating so far but i know that that will get easier as my character becomes more powerful. I get better at the fight system. Uh, I think yeah. this. I think this one type of enemy in particular has awkward timing, and I'm hoping that other enemies, the timing will be less awkward. But you could maybe, yeah, um, say more on that. But so far, it's pretty great for me. The combat is at its strongest when you are in one-on-one encounters. Um, a lot of the stuff you fight early on is like kind of bugs or like alien type things that they don't have the the same obvious parry windows right so like you can parry enemies in this game and stormtroopers will have swings that are a bit more obvious that you can knock away whereas like the giant ogdo bogdo frog sometimes i don't know whether i can parry him or not and the game is actually kind of clear about what you can't parry because they're like you they're flashing red red, get out the way uh so that's nice that they they kind of include that as a bit of an accessibility feature. Um, I wonder how that holds up for someone like Jeff Gersman in, in Colorblind, if there is Colorblind mode at all. Sure, um, sure. Because that seems And it's like-, like those Stormtroopers, the second you get the counter in and they've lost their balance and you, you can kill them instantly, whereas these other enemies that I don't want to spoil, um, they like as they're attacking you you can counter them but you have to counter them three or four times before they're completely staggered to where you can do lots of damage and even on top of that they take so much health even some of the stormtroopers who have like a uh, orange pauldron 
they take multiple hits for you to break their guard, essentially, right? This is why a lot of people are comparing this game specifically to Sekiro, which came out earlier this year, because that game was very much about breaking an enemy's guard with a parry, then you can actually attack the health bar. And that's the case here, which is every enemy has kind of a block bar almost where you have to knock that out first then they're susceptible to actually doing damage to them yeah i feel like it would be more believable if rather than having to break their parry three times and then do like a third of health and then do that process three times it'd feel better so essentially breaking their parry nine times almost to beat one enemy at times it feels like rather that it would be better if the second their guard is broken and you've got a damn lightsaber you're slicing through them they're dead you know like and that's not to say the game should be easier but once you've broken their balance and you've got a lightsaber you should be killing almost anyone yeah exactly so like when you get to harder enemies and it's like okay i have to break them multiple times and then i'm slicing them it's like i think a lot of people are understandably lightsabers in star wars you slice through a thing it basically cuts it it cuts anything like it's this it's it's almost ultra weapon that you can't stop it with raw material right it just will go through whatever Um, and obviously there's examples in the films where you can't instantly do that like i think of qui-gon trying to get in the trade federation room in episode one and he's like slowly holding the lightsaber to to make a hole it's working you know like it It, yeah it it, it takes time but it will eventually get through um yeah this game doesn't do that and it deliberately can't do that because you can't have a satisfying combat system if you just slice everything down on one hit it just wouldn't work um it wouldn't build up that type of momentum uh have you felt about the force powers in this game because for me this is one of the weakest aspects in terms of you have a force meter and so when you do certain moves it takes up that force meter and then similar to hollow knight where you're like building up your meter um for health and stuff when you hit enemies when you hit enemies with regular attacks you build up your force meter again um what's your experience been so far because i think you have force push so yeah, far. yeah i've got force push and then like the force slowdown thing that you start the game with and i like it a lot like I, I i like the bar in the sense that it is easy to build up but at the same time it's not overpowered it's a good balance of you can use the force when your back's up against the wall but you might or you, you might open a battle with the force but you're not just using the force you, it forces you that's the wrong word to use but it, it makes you use your lightsaber to fight uh and i like yeah. that I, I for me personally it's a neat balance of the two where oh, I am about to die, but my force meter is full. Okay, well, I'll force push. Oh, I just shoved a bunch of guys off that cliff. I guess I'm okay now, yes. sort of thing. Like, and I, I love that balance. The, I tell you, there's no better feeling than when there's a really hard enemy and you're like getting up behind them and you force push and they just fall down the hole. And you're like, oh, don't need to fight him. He's gone. Like he would have taken me. It's a good feeling, but I do feel like I need to practice more, like sure, the counter, yeah, yeah. so I kind of like... Yeah. And the game gives you a lot of way. opportunities to do that, right? You think That's about true. the meditation system, you know, this is pulled straight out of Souls, where you go to, like, in that, those games you go to a bonfire, and in these games there's a meditation circle, like a Jedi kind of center for where you just sit down and like think on your thoughts and heal yourself i guess somehow through that process um but it refills your stim and so your stims come from bd1 who's the uh the the robot buddy droid who's really cool i really like bd1 cool. a lot very um, cute. he 
so he is kind of the metroid aspect of this game in all senses because he'll show that he'll like beam out the metroid prime-esque map he will scan things i love that he beams it out himself it's so cool. um yeah it's, i love that context within oh. the world it's like not just a map on a menu but it, like it literally shows you you can get a bit you need to be careful because enemies can still hit you with that map up like it doesn't pause the game um, oh i did not know that yeah so don't do that where there's enemies attacking you because it won't pause the action uh yeah what what do you think of, of him because he is you love metro prime right like that is your jam and you love the map of metro prime and the scanning of, of that game as yeah, well that's I what mean, bd1 is essentially these maps are even better than metroid prime like they, they they're obviously the, the same like blue three-dimensional design but on top of that it just seems a lot more smooth but also it's just it's marked really well i think you can see the structure the geometry much more clearly yeah, like yeah. you can recognize what area is what from that whereas i felt with prime a lot of the time it was far more polygonal in nature and you don't get a lot of the details of what actually is in the room it's a lot more polygonal yeah but also just having here's an orange area that you've not been to yet on this side of the room that like i like stuff like that i know a lot of probably metroid purists will be like that's outrageous how on earth could they <laughs> have a map that tells you where to go essentially but i or like shows what's accessible and what's inaccessible yeah but i mean it kind of works with this game i love that man like that's one of my most frustrating things about metroid fusion which is one of my favorite games but like when things happen in that map and it changes stuff like there's a door in sector two that breaks uh early on in the game and when you're doing cleanup there and like trying to get all the abilities the map doesn't change to reflect that so it doesn't show you that you can't actually make it through this area even though it's blocked off like it, it just doesn't update essentially whereas i love this game is so forward with its information being like okay here are a bunch of green doors you can now access these here's a red door you can't go through there yet um it, it just helps in terms of there's a lot of backtracking in this game you go back to planets multiple times so it just makes your life easier right it's, it's gonna be more accessible generally yeah totally totally but yeah what's the stuff i've not seen are you happy with it uh yes so my experience with this game first four hours i got it a little early because i basically man so uh i played this truck. game on pc through origin access premiere which is a program that ea has on pc that you can pay them 15 dollars a month or pounds a month i should say which is damn sight more expensive than game pass and nowhere near as good as game pass um to get access to their games day one and they have a whole back catalog of like 200 games or whatever um i had to scroll through there's not really anything in there i want to play that badly that i don't already own on some in some other fashion so but it's a great way to just play this new game that i otherwise would have had to go out and spend 40 50 quid on day one and i've beaten the game already like i, I only need a month so i i've i've already cancelled my um, first month so i've paid 15 quid essentially to play this new game which is great it's it's awesome uh, what it meant was that because on digital storefronts the game unlocked early for different regions so in new zealand it was unlocked basically thursday our time so i downloaded like um, a vpn and like changed spoofed my pc to think the region was new zealand so i preloaded the game and then got in early so i started playing it on on that thursday before the game even came out on friday and i for the first four hours was very frustrated with a lot of aspects mainly technical stuff and i i never actually experienced too much of what you were talking about with like glitches and like people floating for me it was more the inconsistency of the frame rate now i will be honest i have a gtx 970 which is 
it's a good graphics card still but it's getting old um i've had it for four years now so in in pc terms that's like seven decades um (laughs) and so it's it's struggled to keep up like i think the 970 is kind of on a par with the ps4 pro um which means that i was having similar problems to people playing on the performance mode on console um which you know the frame rate is inconsistent it's it's constantly fluctuating there's some stutters going on so i was really bummed out because i couldn't get a consistent experience um and i don't think the start of the game is that good in terms of its storytelling right it sets some stuff up but you get such little time with the characters you're introduced to so you like get off your starting planet and you you meet up with seer and with grease who are the two people Mm. on your ship and like there's a little bit of setup for like what's happened in the world like where we are and, and things like that but it, it didn't give me much. Like, the first four hours, like, the first planet, and, like, I went through Zepho, did all the Zepho stuff, and then kind of stopped after the end of Zepho, and I, I wasn't all that impressed. I think I was also fighting the controls, getting used to the combat, understanding the parry system. I didn't like how parry was, like, on this one shoulder button, and then dodge was on B, but jump was on A, and then you fought with X. Like, it for me i like to have dodge and attack next to each other but because this game also does platforming stuff like it does the uncharted running on walls and like jumping and but yeah climbing. But because you're dodging and attacking or essentially parrying and then attacking at such short spaces of time i, I kind yeah. of can appreciate why one's shoulder button and one's not and that's like god of war you know like the parry yeah and the- yeah i get that i think my complaint was more with the dodge being like directly across from the attack right so like roll i can't like roll my finger to dodge like i usually would do um so i ended up jumping a lot in those early hours and just getting fucked over you're right yeah dodge is a big deliberate right move over to circle when squares attack sure totally so that was my issue going into it was i it took me so long to just get my head around the combat and ultimately as i said before this game is at its strongest when it's one-on-one. When you're in groups of enemies, it feels like you don't really have the power or the tool to get around that. That's where the force powers, I feel, are incredibly important to break yeah. up groups of units to take one one at a time, essentially. And that's yes. something I need to get better at as I move on in the game. It's something that I recommended to you was like, if I'm honest, unless you fully upgrade some of these powers to so like force push it's not going to be that effective against enemies. Like, the, the base-level Stormtrooper guys, like Dumbos, you can throw those off cliffs, but the harder enemies, they'll just get... They, like, duck them, yeah. Yeah, they get, like, just a little bit staggered, and it barely does anything. And in that case, something like Time Stop is more important because it gives you the opportunity to actually get around them from a different side, and when you hit them there, they can't block it, which means you actually take health off their main bar as opposed to just their block one. Uh, so so that that was helpful because either you would use it on an enemy and then you'd be able to hit them, or you'd use it on an enemy if there were two attacking you, and you could slow one down and focus on the one that was active, right? So you could kind of deal with them one at a time in some sense. But I just don't think that... like, and I, I get the journey, right? Because you are building your skills as you go and Cal is like remembering these things because he is a Jedi. Like he was a Padawan and he's building... Like he's kind of... You're getting your Force powers by remembering them from the past almost. It's cool it's flashbacks like, to like your yeah, master and you definitely. essentially learn a skill as young Cal. And I, I nice. love his... Like Jared Paul, I love his design. Like as a Jedi, I think he's a really his interesting... Master. Yeah, yeah, he's a really interesting character from like a looks perspective. Do you know what race he is? I don't know. The I have name no idea what race he is. He seems like something completely new. Um, 
but yeah I, I i like those scenes and there's more of that stuff and there's some really great things they do with this this story going forward like I, as soon as i got to kashik i did kashik and that's like that area there's some variety in the gameplay they do some interesting things and i was really on board with the game after that like post kashik i was like okay i feel like i'm in the groove i'm getting it i also got a a better setting set up on my pc so i had like dynamic resolution going which meant that the frame rate would say some closer to 60 majority of the time but i also got a little bit more used to it so it wasn't front of my mind constantly and wasn't taking me out of the experience and from that point forward i was just like barreling on through i was like okay yeah oh we're learning this oh and then this thing happens and okay we're gonna go to this place there are sections that you'll go back to and some of them feel a little bit too long but there are some great set piece moments and really good story reveals and just good character work i think like there's this really is a story a a contained story about these specific characters and their experiences within this wider universe and i think that's something that the mandalorian is excelling at right now like it is a contained narrative with you know it has hints at what could be you know stuff for the wider world of the universe but i think it stands strong because it's being more contained um so both these things coming out around the same time two different time periods interestingly both of them around the same distance from the movie so like this is five years post revenge of the sith and mandalorian is five years post return of the jedi yeah so it's curious that like we're, both these uh, things are happening at the same time and there are similarities in each of them but but ultimately like th- this game does so much with star wars and so for me it is this mismatch of lots of different games from lots of different genres it's the master of none of those things but it does everything serviceably or well enough to where you enjoy it right it's no uncharted in terms of its set pieces it's no metroid in terms of its world design but it does have those moments of like oh shortcut unlocked or like now i can more easily get to this part of the map um where you feel satisfied like i talk about the skyward sword like rolling the log down and getting that that uh, shortcut ease of yeah. access yeah um and the star wars liquor paint generally is pretty good for me at least so yeah far. the music is fantastic yeah. it opens with a, a a soundtrack choice that is not what you expect from star wars but like it kind of works like it, it's really interesting how, how it kind of weaves its way through that stuff and of course you know all the sound effect stuff the lightsaber looks incredible um and obviously like customizing your lightsaber is a big deal in this game you uh, one of the things i'll say is i wasn't that i'm i'm not that compelled to go back to this game and search for secrets because i don't think the secrets are that interesting like you get different ponchos you get different skins for bd1 yeah. and there'll be some people who that appeals to a bit more for me i went out of my way to find them if i was exploring an area but it's not the type of thing i'm compelled to go back to find um because i just don't think the reward is that interesting have have you done much exploring and uh, trying to find side stuff or do like mini like there's some puzzles that will hide extra stim packs or things like that which are worth going for but um yeah i've kind of i've not always mainlined it i've kind of gone off the beaten path where it's looked interesting or it's been accidental because often like when you are exploring especially like when i was on zepho it was just very much like i guess i could go this way or this way i'll try it this way and see what happens and just kept going and then i realized i was i was like almost 
had to go through like a series of mini bosses essentially that i thought at that point i was like this definitely isn't where i'm meant to be but i'm gonna do this and i kept dying but i kept going back to it and i eventually uh did it and then yeah i got like some sort of paint job or something and it was like okay yeah that was interesting and like sure i'll i might do that again if i do accidentally but i'm not gonna push hard to see every secret and likewise i'm not gonna just stick to the main line totally I'll, I'll, i'll go off the beaten path a little bit i think yeah absolutely um but yeah, I think this game is solid. It's really good. And I think if you're not a Star Wars fan, you'll enjoy it. Like, it's a good game and you'll, you'll have a good time with it. If you're a Star Wars fan, you have this game it. hits on so many yeah. levels. And that is the thing. Like, I, I've heard this from a lot of people. Like, I think Ash Paulson on Kind of Funny was talking about how he was five hours into the game. And, like, Tim and Greg were, like, going crazy about how amazing the, the story is and all this stuff. And I was very much with Ash. Like, I was four hours into the game. I was like, I don't don't know i'm not really feeling this right now but it really does start to build and it starts to pay off later on as you get deeper into it and there's some really interesting like there's stuff from the clone wars that comes up in this game which i'm not super familiar with but i know a little bit about like one planet in particular that you get kind of surprised by like oh wow like this has a connection um and ultimately for me the strongest part of this game is lightsaber duels like they have fucking nailed a boss fight one-on-one lightsaber to lightsaber i found the parrying so satisfying in those fights and just all the moves you have to dodge out it was really well considered there's a lot of gifs going around like those fights in slow motion and stuff and the animation is through the roof or like on that totally yeah totally and and for me, it was far more just using my lightsaber. I wasn't using force powers that much. And as I said, I wasn't, I'm not a huge fan of them because they, it feels like it's too expensive to use force powers. Like one of the moves you get is an overheaded slice with the Y button, which is like a heavy attack. And I think the animation priority of taking so long to do the heavy attack is punishment enough. But the fact that you lose force meter and then it doesn't hit as well kind of sucks even more so i wish that type of attack wasn't like tied to your force meter i wish it had been more tied to just the push and pull and the time stop and things like that um but that said god those those are some of my favorite third person combat sequences in any game i've ever played is the lightsaber jewels and there's like a good four or five of them all of them are excellent they are so much fun um i had a great time with those um so cool so yeah it's uh are there many of them or that's yeah i I literally just said there's like four or five five, um, sorry right (laughs) across the game um yeah yeah i i'm very excited for you to get to some of the slayer game stuff as i said i want to talk to somebody about this game i need to do that so uh there's some things which i'm excited about um so there we go that i mean you know this is the end of the year battle all the big releases have happened so we spent a lot of time talking about these games but i think it was well worth doing so uh but we're gonna take a break and we'll come back after this with some emails. Don't get anywhere. We'll be right back.
Hello everyone and welcome back to the show. It is the second segment and that means it's time for your listener emails. Uh, we're into the end of November now and that means that we have Game of the Year episodes coming up in December and that also means you want to hear about your games of the year. So we want to hear about all the games you've played this year that didn't come out this year as well as the ones that did. We want Nintendo games, we want Nintendo games, we want your lists uh send them to us to this nintendo life at gmail.com that's this nintendo life at gmail.com you can also post your lists in our discord server link to that in the description or on our twitter account at tnl podcast so make sure to check that out and yeah we would love to read all of your lists our first email this week is from b king who's from sweden hey guys me and a friend of mine are huge pokemon fans and are very much looking forward to the new upcoming game on switch so this is a, a bit slightly old, old email slightly old. Um, <clears throat> however we felt like nintendo and the pokemon company showed off way too much of the games when trying to maintain the hype cycle ahead of sun and moon to the point where we felt it had ruined a big part of the experience for us we therefore decided that we from now on will try and avoid all the information on sword and shield by going media silent have you ever felt like trailers for a game you have been excited for have shown too much of the game to the point where you think it actively made you enjoy the game less? Also, have you ever tried to go media silent for a game generally? Greetings from Sweden, Beking. P.S. My girlfriend recently went to Edinburgh and said she really enjoyed it. Everyone loves Edinburgh. Everyone I don't think Edinburgh. I've ever heard anyone go to Edinburgh and say to me, that was a bad place to go. Yes, yeah, like, why did you recommend that place? It's awful. It's like, no. I've never heard that. It's just, no. It doesn't happen. It's impossible. It's, it's too good of a place. Um, great. Uh, Bally, is there anything that comes to mind to you? And the thing with this actually is impressive because contrasted to Sun and Moon, which Pokemon did do a lot of stuff ahead of launch and showed all this thing, and I even mentioned it in the previous section where I was like, you know, going into this, they were pretty reticent to show anything. They were like, okay, we'll just hold things back. And it is meant, I think a lot of people, myself included, have gone into these new games, pretty much media silent, uh, and have discovered a lot of things for themselves and not had to have them kind of spoiled. And it it gives that greater sense of exploration and, and excitement when you're, you're playing the game. Um, yeah, I find that... For a select few games that I am totally excited about, like, for example, next year, I think the, at the moment it's probably like Animal Crossing, maybe Last of Us 2, although I still need to play the first game. Like, there's a, a handful of games coming, the top, absolute top-tier games I'm most excited for that I will... I'll watch the trailers, but I won't look up information or look up extended gameplay perhaps and that can be quite difficult when you might be watching some e3 show where they just shoehorn extended gameplay into that show or something and i'll be a bit like oh well that is interesting and it worked well with something like breath of the wild but certainly i don't want to see a ton of stuff on animal crossing although i'll probably just intrinsically absorb it through social media and other podcasts to be honest and although to be fair like you do kind of have a sieve of a memory as we've mentioned before i do have a sieve of a memory yeah and so like you going into a game like god of war practically blind despite the fact that you definitely saw those trailers um you just weren't like i think yeah the difference difference with that game was and this is why i think my brain was especially a sieve with that kind of stuff is that stuff i have no interest in my memory for is awful and like so at the time i 
didn't have a realistic interest in the sense that I didn't own a PS4 and I didn't plan on getting one in the near future to the point where I wasn't concentrating on the, those trailers or any info on it when it was all floating around that E3. I kind of just let it go. And then when the, I eventually did get the game, I it was very fresh. So that was almost kind of accidental in a way um, where I do think that I don't find trailers for video games at least more often than not don't tend to ruin too much for me it's that sort of mechanics and extended gameplay right. that's the difference between movies and games is that a movie is a two-hour thing yeah. and like a lot of trailers are very spoilery for movies I think Disney has started to get around this with like rogue one the trailer had a bunch of stuff that wasn't in the movie and also with avengers stuff they they tend to do not fake trailers but like trailers with stuff that won't actually be in the movie so it doesn't spoil the experience yeah and i like that because it does make the trailer stand alone right and doesn't spoil anything as much but but that's nice. the problem it's like there's so there's so much less there with the movie in terms of pure amount of time you will spend with it and things you will see whereas with a game a two-minute trailer can't really encapsulate like 90 hours of persona 5 right it gives you a flavor but there's so much in there that is hidden that even if you didn't go media blackout on p5 and like you were watching everything they put out you could probably play that game and still be pretty shocked by lots of things that happen and see places you've never seen before and lots of stuff and that's one of the benefits to games is that they can have, like, they can last for however long and they can have so much stuff in them that, marketing-wise, they're allowed a bit more leeway in that sense. And it is one of those frustrating things where video games are becoming much more like films in the sense of the way that they're marketed. So trailers, where I would argue, like, a trailer for a video game can show off much more about the visuals the characters and the story whereas it's it's not great at showing mechanics in the same way you really have to kind of feel those for yourself often Uh, so we're now in this situation where video game trailers are almost like movie trailers where you don't see any gameplay and you're just seeing like a bit of story a bit of plot uh, and some of the visuals and especially for a game like um avengers which is coming out next year where we we have now eventually through like leaked <laughs> sources and you know stuff seen a lot more gameplay for that game at the time at e3 when that game was first shown off it was really kind of jaw-dropping how little we actually saw of how that game would work and that's right. something that we that you want to know and find out and um at the same time as i wouldn't want to be spoiled on extended gameplay i want to see a bit of gameplay to work out how the game works totally yeah and that's that's the balance that you have to strike right i think it was the issue with fallen order for a while where the first trailer for that i was like okay like i i don't know what this game is yet but they yeah, showed exactly. me some cg showed me some cutscenes, and like here's our main character it's like okay i don't care like i i lit that's the problem with that for me personally is it doesn't engage me until i've seen what is the thing I'm going to be buying, right? I'm not buying a movie. I'm not buying cutscenes. I'm buying an experience to play. Um, mm. So that's definitely an interesting case. And I think it's an interesting case because at XO19, the, the Xbox event that they had in London where they announced a bunch of things for Game Pass, did some new game announcements from Rare and stuff like that, like Everwild. Uh, they showed a gameplay trailer for Fallen Order and it spoiled a thing that... I didn't really want to see 
Um, and it was it's a thing that you this thing I told you to go to get on Dathomir. Um, All right. Yeah. And so I I knew about that thing before I played that game. And I will say that that made me enjoy the game less in some sense. Like that being spoiled, it was like I would have loved to come to that on my own naturally and be surprised by it in the moment. But when I when I saw it, I was like, oh, cool. I got the thing. I, I knew I was going to get the thing and I got the thing. And so moments like that will happen. Um, and I think that's why, you know, when I'm getting to the later parts of Fallen Order and I'm seeing all this new stuff, it is hitting me so much more because it's unexpected because i'm not waiting for it to happen because it it wasn't marketed it wasn't part of what they were showing uh so so for me that can affect a game's enjoyment like it's not on a big level but like all these micro decisions that get made in the marketing in terms of what they show you beforehand every single one of those is going to take away a piece of surprise that you could have had otherwise yeah Um, and for every game that might have some minor thing spoiled in a trailer or gameplay uh, that i've then gone on to enjoy that game ever so slightly less because of that there's a whole tranche of games that i wouldn't play at all if it wasn't for the trailers and how that game looked or played you know like the trailers still do their job in terms of getting me interested in a game uh, if it's something i have no interest in in before and like there's there are arguably only a select few games and franchises that i i know day one i'm going to pick up that game no matter what and if i was to do a media blackout it would obviously be for those games whereas most games that i played this year i probably didn't plan on playing last year and it is through reviews and trailers and watching gameplay that i have become interested to buy and play those games totally yeah and it's for indie games it's different right so you see something like ape out and you're like all right i know what this game is but i would still want to play it so and and you can watch gameplay of that and pretty much get everything like obviously they have some little twists here and there and like each level will look different but ultimately you know what that game is but also the experience of that game doesn't is not about spoilers like you can't spoil someone on ape out it's not that type of experience um so it it does depend on the game that said katana zero is a game with a lot of surprises in it a lot of things that i didn't expect to happen um and and did enhance my enjoyment the fact that i went into this game thinking it's one thing but then it ends up doing a bunch of things that i didn't expect whatsoever uh so some of that stuff just happens as a byproduct of like what type of game is it because katana zero is a game i mean i have you know i'm one of those people who's weird and i've been following it since uh it was shown off on a gdc live stream at kind of funny years ago but most people won't most people will go into that game and be like oh i heard people talking about this this seems cool and play it um and not have to worry about going media blackout right the media blackout thing is very much for huge franchises or big games that are all about marketing pushes and throwing trailers out there like the triple a stuff basically um and i mean you know it's not a game but neither of us are watching anything else that's happening for rise of skywalker we we're done with that stuff right like i want to we're so close to that movie there's they're putting up all these tv spots and stuff on youtube i'm not clicking on any of these fucking things because i've seen enough of what the trailers have shown me it's a star wars movie of course i'm gonna watch it and and i think like i remember that first experience of sitting in the cinema with you watching force awakens and it was fucking magic because there were so many surprises and things that we didn't expect and my experience with that movie and my memories and my fondness for it is enhanced because i went in with like 
zero knowledge essentially i want to say we actually jointly managed to avoid the final trailer with that film do you remember yeah, this probably yeah I, I don't remember what it was but i think Which we have failed to do with this film <laughs> well <laughs> but... yeah but i mean like it, that last trailer they did wasn't overly it's, i, I it, didn't see overly spoiler anyway. yeah it's also different like force awakens was the start of a trilogy sure. this is the third film in a trilogy so and we also have to question how much of this stuff is going to be in the film right sure. are disney doing another one of those things where they're putting a bunch of scenes in which actually won't be in the final movie uh i don't know they, they could very well be doing that which would be cool because then we go in and we're like oh that thing didn't happen they didn't do yeah. that thing from the trailer and uh adds to the surprise as, as to the enjoyment but are there any games you can think of where you have committed because like for me the thing that i realize with easy allies is a lot of those guys will be like complete media blackout don't want to see anything like michael huber even when they're doing some reaction to some stuff sometimes he'll just like close his eyes like block his ears out and just look away from the screen (laughs) um which is like kind of antithetical to the idea that they do a lot of reactions to things so you kind of want to see reactions yeah uh but i i feel that i only do this in certain situations because as we were saying at the start for the most part games are pretty good about giving you enough while also having so much more that you don't need to be too worried about being spoiled yeah it's it's hard work doing media blackout to be honest especially if you're online the amount we are especially yeah if you're on twitter then you're gonna get something is gonna happen yeah, you know yeah like and the the fucking this is a, we should have probably talked about this in our social media episode um to plug for our patreon we did a patreon episode on social media go check it out uh fucking the changes that have happened to twitter where they show things that people you follow have liked or people yeah. have liked for, like it, the timeline on twitter is so fucked up now it's not <laughs> what it should like twitter used to be here is a sequential order of the people you follow and now it just shoves a bunch of bullshit in there like people i like, don't want to see on my timeline like loads of people that just suddenly appear and i'm like who are you like i don't want to yeah god terrible stuff going on with with that really That's, bad like really bad negative but um I mean, but you I was... will get spoiled because of that much more likely this time. And I think many of the things Pokemon-wise I've been spoiled on are shit that people have liked a tweet yeah. of and it's popped up on my feed. And I'm like, I don't want to see that, man. Like, yeah. God, it's really annoying. If I was going to do Media Blackout, because it would have to be so total, it would ultimately be for a number of things all in one. It wouldn't be for one thing. And I listen to too many podcasts in Media Blackout. Like, come on, like, I'm... They talk, people talk about stuff, and I think people have become really good at talking about things in spoiler free terms. Um, and spoiler warnings, sticking stuff at the end of shows, spoiler exclusive podcasts, that kind of thing for the really important stuff. But in terms of like seeing worlds revealed or seeing power ups in something like Mario Odyssey, you know, all the transformations, yeah, Mario Odyssey is like the prime candidate of like they show, showed too many places in that game they just did they should have held back somewhat yeah they went overboard on the places i think they did well in terms of showing the um i keep the captures captures that's what they're called yeah Yeah, they they didn't reveal too many of those i think the t-rex one was maybe over the top but at the same time it's so over the top that they wanted to show everyone you know like it was like what yeah it was a great trailer moment like that was the thing that made that game pop at e3 was that trailer where they were like and this and this and this and this and it was just like loads and loads of things that they were showing on screen yeah it was overload which was cool um so yeah now i've not really been overly spoiled on anything trailer related or podcasts and i think we've both both learned how who to listen to uh who to 
avoid you know and i don't think we get spoiled generally too much um on games so let's take something like breath of the wild 2 would you be able do you think to go media silent for breath of the wild 2 avoid completely trailers and gameplay and all that stuff probably not right i mean for for one thing no because i'm gonna watch nintendo directs and the second they're like oh breath of the wild 2 it's like well, this is a moment I've been waiting for. Like, I totally. want to see this. It's, and the other hard. thing is, like, as podcasters, we have a duty to... We do an E3 show every year. Yeah. So we watch E3. So I'm not just going <laughs> to shut my eyes during the Breath of the Wild no 2 E3 segment. Sh- and then... No E3 show this year. We're both doing a media blackout. Sorry, guys. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, like, what? It's uh, It's been ridiculous. So, so for me, that is... And I, I do put faith in companies that when they do know, you know, they have those big events, those tentpole moments where they know everyone is watching, that's when they'll usually put a trailer out that isn't going to be overly spoilery or, or ruin the experience for anyone. But it, it's going to entice people to get more interested in the game from like a wider perspective. Um, it's when Nintendo just puts out, like, this is the good example that the B King's writing in with is like, the pokemon channel was just like every day it's like here's a new pokemon here's a here's a move here's a thing um and there are examples of this type of marketing within nintendo that actually i love which is super smash brothers right like the dojo was sakurai every day being like here's the thing and here's the thing and here's another thing and so by the time the game comes out you practically know everything that was in brawl but you still want to play it because like that's the experience of smash brothers it's not necessarily the excitement of revealing things yeah and i feel very differently about smash brothers in the sense of some people were like oh i want to go into the wii u game not knowing who the unlockable characters are but to me that's not really part of the experience because like it's smash brothers you're gonna the internet is gonna talk about these characters these characters are marketing beats yeah those those spoilers are just too big to avoid like totally because you can be spoiled entirely by a simple headline that's the problem uh right regardless of images or videos just a headline is gonna ruin that in a single tweet so And, and ultimately it's about the type of game it is which is like you know what smash brothers is you you know like these characters are going to be in there it's it's more about playing the game and actually learning the moves and like seeing who your favorite is and stuff like that whereas again this this i think this type of argument with media silence has come more into fashion because the industry progressively moves towards narrative in terms of presenting their games Um, and so if you ruin a story like that's that's the thing that's the reason you're there in a lot of uh, ways so so yeah um but but again like single player stuff even pokemon just seeing places seeing towns seeing new pokemon is you can consider spoilers and takes away from the experience so. yeah totally but yeah speaking thanks for the email it's a good question our next email is from ryan who's from the internet hey mbz and bally i always enjoy listening to your top games lists shows because it's hilarious to hear you both bicker like an old married couple about which games are better than others Mm -hmm. of course it's all in good fun because you know opinions and such that being said bally one absolute game fact is that you need to play chrono trigger so you understand why it should be above so many of the games you tried to put higher my question arises from doing the list are there any games that you've played or I guess haven't but know enough about where you vehemently disagree with a specific or general opinion about the game? For example, MBZ completely disagreeing with Bally over Octopath Traveler. Any highly regarded games you think are absolute crap or vice versa? And then this email is from when we were talking about going to the States. So he said, P.S. 
being a Chicagoan, Portillo's hot dogs are great, but where it's really at are the chocolate cake shakes. A delicious slice of fattening chocolate cake blended into the shake is drool-inducing and artery-clogging in one go. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, we didn't try that God. and missed out on Portillo's, but uh, yeah, next no, time... I mean, yeah, speaking of Greg Miller, like he is like the champion of Portillo's, so um, that is... Uh, I, think, I, I doubt he brought any with him to give to people or anything but, you know, <laughs> that'd, that'd be, be nice um yeah one day one day i'll, I'll get over there and, and enjoy one but um bali uh we uh i hate octopath travelers the worst game i've made well no this is the thing it's like i put octopath travelers my number nine game last year like in my top 10 yeah i think everyone now thinks you hate that game when actually yeah. as you say it is number nine on your top yeah no no I, I like it I, I do like octopath travel i i think that my problem was you put it way too high <laughs> like you, i don't think it deserved to be that high on a list of games but uh you know that's uh i, that's I think fair. when we that's do fair. those lists we do heighten our opinions to some degree because we're trying to get our favorites up the top exactly. and not the other person so it's 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 back and forth and it's like bartering and, and things like that so you know um that said I, I definitely disagree with a lot of people on that game in, in certain aspects. So are there any particular examples that stand out to you, Bally, of like opinions that people have uh, on a game that you just don't, I think don't feel? Inside just didn't jive with me in the way it did with a lot of people. And it, like Metacritic, OpenCritic really rate that game generally. And I just needed one more fulfilling, and we've talked about it before, but I needed one more fulfilling step with where that, what that game was trying to tell you went. And it didn't feel complete in my mind. Uh, and it, cause it has a lot of build up for me. Yeah. And that build up didn't have the payoff I had wanted or expected. Uh, and that kind of set me apart. Maybe just me and Greg Miller. Like, uh-huh, yeah. Aside from everyone else, it's not in my top echelon of games for sure. Sure uh i mean you're wrong but fine you know <laughs> you're entitled to to think what you like about um it. other than inside i think undertale as well is a game that yeah, a lot they, of yeah. people really love and there are moments of that game i do like a lot uh but the, i think the comparisons to earthbound are fair but for me earthbound is just above and beyond so much more than that game in like its story and world building and undertale uh, there's just too much about it that, like the whole multiple timelines and plots and sure. Good and evil I, I think and... people, I think people are probably shouting at their devices right now because <laughs> they're like, "Bali, you fucking idiot! You have to play it on the uh, thingy, pat- not patricide, genocide, not genocide. What's the one where you don't kill anyone? Uh, pacifist, pacifist. <laughs> pacifist yeah. You have to play the pacifist route, and you have to go and do the side quest with Undyne, and you have to go see. Yeah, this exactly. And, and there's all these characters. If you have blah, to do blah, all blah. that to get the game in its best light, then maybe the game isn't as great as. Totally. Up to be, I would argue. No, I, I see what you mean, but I think a lot of Undertale fans get very belligerent because they're like, <laughs> and look, they're man, to. <laughs> look, man, they're like fucking crazy. Be like, fucking, you didn't see this, you didn't see this whole game. You got to see the whole game in order to appreciate it. And and for the regular player, like you'll play seven hours of Undertale and finish the game. And yeah. It depends on how much you invest in it to whether you feel like it's worthwhile to go and yeah. do that stuff. And I didn't play that stuff, but I went and watched it. And I have an understanding now of why people uh, think that way. And I, to- I totally get that. I just didn't want to go through it myself. I don't want to play the whole game again in order to, you know, just unlock 
certain story things which are more revealing about yeah i mean as short as that game is for an rpg it's still a long game you know like it's a good yeah. eight hours seven, right yeah seven yeah, hours yeah, it's a medium yeah. to small length game i would argue it's true sure. but um it's not short short uh i'd argue like three hours and under short short but anyway um, yeah. the good old one we love to rag well, i love to rag against on this show uh super mario world people just need to chill out about that game a bit more <laughs> it's a good game i enjoyed it it's good it's a good platformer uh it's probably a very important platformer in the future of 2d platformers but it doesn't hold up in comparison to loads of 2d platformers and i think the fact that super mario world feels so different inside of uh mario maker compared to the original shows how much even nintendo appreciate the world has moved on a bit and the uh the physics in that game worked for the time but you know they've everything's improved responsiveness has improved now and uh it's not a classic that holds up in the same way i would argue I disagree with you. I actually think Super Mario World does hold up a lot. But I think my perspective is coloured by the fact that I think Super Mario Brothers 3 is fucking straight garbage, you know? Like, that's my opinion. <laughs> so I still need to play that opinion. game, and I'd be interested. And, like, I do think Mario World holds up, but I don't think it holds up as a, gr- a true great, I should make clear. Like, yes. It holds up as yes. a good game. It's a good yes, game. Yes, definitely. Um, Absolutely. I don't think it holds up as a great game. Whereas I think Super Mario Brothers 3 is, like, an okay game. Like, it's, it's fine, but I... It just blows my mind how much people hold that game up as this bastion of game design. Where I'm like, I do, it's, I don't know, man. Like, it it's frustrating in so many ways. Like, it is an incredibly frustrating game. Um, so so much bullshit, right? Like, the amount of times that I found a level where I I thought, you know, this was made so that you had to die and go back to a save point and play the game up to this point again because you know, classic arcade style design. And and they were getting past that at that point on the NES, but it was a late NES release and it still existed there. So yeah, I mean, you know, people know. I I think like answering this question, I think it's implied that if you listen to this podcast, you know that our opinion on Mario World and Mario 3 are very (laughs) different from most people on Nintendo podcasts. Uh, And I I would say like our age has something to do with that, but also you know but also we're big 2d platformer fans right like, yeah i have played a ton of 2d platformers i think a lot of people who love super mario world it's gonna sound snobby i just don't think they've played enough 2d platformers like, no i don't i don't think that's right i think it's, it is a taste thing right i think if you grow up with the style of platformer that mario is then you won't like certain way other things control yeah so dan reichert for example loves mario world like one of his favorite games of all time he didn't like ori in the blind forest uh, and he didn't <laughs> like celeste two of the games which i think control sublimely and yeah. are some of the best platformers ever made you know so it's just it's the perspective you come from and, and what you have what you latch on to in terms of just control and design and then um, like finally a game which i know you have much stronger feelings about but i'm i still don't like as much as the critical media rate this game uh, and it was still my, my number five game from last year i believe it might have been four no it wasn't as four maybe it was six i can't even remember now it was red, number five i'm number pretty sure. five red dead 2 and like as an example of a game where it's visually better than how it feels and that's definitely what rockstar went for in terms of like mm-hmm. That whole thing, I think 
people need to step back and, and make sure that before you you give a game you know that absolute top echelon of ranking rating whatever you do on your own website or whatever that it, it fundamentally feels good and that game for the most part doesn't feel that great it's got a fantastic story the characters grew on me tremendously i did get used to the clunky controls eventually but they were still not good um and for that reason i would give it it's like a good seven or eight out of ten for me it's not a nine out of ten which is what the internet kind of went around um agreed upon really uh with that one so yeah i know you were way lower <laughs> yeah i tortured myself to finish it because i agree with you narratively rockstar had, did a great job with it right like arthur morgan one of the best like yeah one of the greatest that, performances that in games as well like some of the stuff he has to do that actor in the end of the game is really hard when you think about the circumstance that character gets put in uh but getting through the fucking trudging mud and that is the aptest description for it because that's what it feels like and i mean the game starts in snow up to your waist so it like, literally starts in trudging fucking like, snow trudging that, that fucking might as well be a metaphor for the rest <laughs> of the experience you're gonna have it's like, oh this um, this is the first level now not level but this is the first area now where the snow is cleared why am i still feeling like i'm walking through snow pretty much life? yes a hundred percent yeah that is very much my perspective on it so yeah, I did have that on, on my list. Yeah, uh, that's my one is, list, though. Yeah. What's yours? Uh, another one is Horizon. I just don't like the combat in that game at all. I think it sucks. I think it sucks that you have this character who is so based around ranged attacks and the enemies you fight are so melee aggressive. They just charge at you and you have, like, no time to run away fast enough. They're really quick enemies as well. You have no way to get away fast enough to move your shot, to aim it properly, to get the specific... Because it's very much about precision, right? Removing pieces of armor and gear off of them. Um, and I like I just didn't enjoy the experience of playing that game at all. It, it, was, it was just too frustrating. Um, and that kind of just pushed me off. Would you be interested in the it. sequel or it totally depends on the build up to that yeah game. I, I mean i i'm not it's not a day one game for me at all like it's it's one of those things i will wait for and see um but yeah i can't i can't deal with with some of those aspects like there's other good like it's a gorgeous looking game i love the world design and stuff like that but it uh, didn't speak to me narratively either so um if long time listeners of the podcast will remember my uh meltdown about this game but mario versus donkey kong fucking <laughs> sucks that game is shit garbage <laughs> how anybody enjoyed that i don't understand i really don't it it may be one of it might be the worst game i've played I've talked about on this podcast Jeez, pushing wow. myself to finish wow maybe it, it was certainly the most angry i've been about a game i enjoyed that game you're a lunatic <laughs> it fucking like remember what was the analogy i used it was like trying to eat steak with a spoon that's that's what that game is because that game it's like requires... automated platforming weird right thing. like it's it requires weird. such precise platforming but it, the platforming is among the worst i have felt with mario of all characters yes exactly yeah. god that game sucks it's so bad um and then another one recently that i haven't really talked about on the podcast this much um destiny 2 so i played destiny 2 and like i get the core of why people like destiny and shooting things but 
anything else around Destiny, I don't understand. Like, the world, and the, people are like, oh, I love the lore of Destiny, and I'm like, I don't know, man, it didn't seem very interesting to me in any way. And, like, the setup, the cutscenes seem very boilerplate, super sci-fi generic. There's nothing unique about it, from my perspective. And this also kind of gets to maybe a crux of my problems with certain types of narratives is like horizon and destiny are both sci-fi narratives fundamentally and i just don't click with sci-fi narratives that much i'm a fantasy person um so maybe that's partially the reason why but like i don't understand people's love for the world and characters and lore of destiny because to me it is the most boilerplate boring stuff it's interesting because horizon has made me interested to try and get involved more in other sci-fi kind of stories I and mean, that's kind of one aspect where i am keen to try out like death stranding next year as, as i don't know if you could call death stranding sci-fi or like what you would call it. i don't even know what sure i mean some have but yeah you're right i i, I don't even know what that game is to be honest nope. i just want to kind of experience it uh but yeah any more cool uh i mean i had mario 3 on this list we already talked oh, about good old that. mario um, 3 i need to play that game no you don't just uh <laughs> just ignore it it's, it really it's not worth i need uh, to play time. that game so that every time we talk about mario world and mario brothers 3 i can at least say i've played Mar- i played both as well uh-huh. <laughs> and it's not <laughs> yeah good. have a have a unified consensus finally. exactly that would be good but ryan thank you very much for that email uh, also ultrapath traveler sucks <laughs> what's that game <laughs> Still your number nine. I'm gonna hold that. It's alright. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not. You die. It was your number nine game. I know. It's yeah. Um. But yeah, great email. And if you have an email that you would like to send to the show, please send to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That's thisnintendolife at gmail.com. As I said, we are wanting game of the year lists. So that's games that came out this year. That's games that didn't come out this year. That's Nintendo games. That's Nintendo games. You can put them all in one list. You can do separate lists. You can do whatever you like. We'll have a look at them all uh, and read some out on the show so yeah that'd be greatly appreciated catch us in the next segment where we're going to be talking about the game awards everybody welcome on back to the last part of the show in which we are going to be discussing the keelys uh the game awards but you know for those in the know it's the keelys going since um, 2014 now is that right yes five years of the keelys which is uh pretty good you know he previously did video game awards like on spike tv and stuff which was very driven by traditional tv media who thought they needed samuel jackson on these video game awards and like music performances and like jeff still does stuff like that but it's more tasteful i feel right like he has the concert that comes and plays all the themes of like the game of the year nominees he had that time when like um 
one it was like a band that played alongside um koji kondo that was pretty cool uh it's the who does radioactive it's, it was that band i can't remember oh, what i don't know called. i loved the uh, red dead 2 medley last year that was incredible oh yeah, yeah 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 that that was really good uh so it's an interesting show because it is part award show but equally people mainly watch it because there's announcements of new things i imagine we're gonna get the next smash character like it seems a bit too obvious so maybe we won't but like come on uh for me my prediction for nintendo stuff is bayonetta 3 and smash because they both have a history with the game awards bayonetta 3 was first announced at the game awards and smash brothers uh last year persona 5 uh joker was announced as a character first dlc character so those those are my two they wouldn't go breath of the wild 2 or metroid prime 4 i feel like breath of the wild 2 they're still going to hold on until next year to show something proper for it um metroid no chance they re they rebooted that game in february yeah, of this yeah. year not been long yeah not long at all so no chance of that but uh anything you you think might get announced anything you're excited to be talked about at the game boards mm, definitely smash brothers character i can't see them going beyond that uh 20 like generally nintendo in 2020 is quite strange like we know about animal crossing right do you reckon we'll get any animal crossing here <sighs> I doesn't seem know. like the right show for Animal so. Crossing. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, you're more likely to get something else. I think there's some big games coming out in 2020 uh, from Nintendo that we don't know about. So you might just see one of those, like a, a Pikmin 4. Let's go for that. Yeah, that could, that could happen. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. It'll be fun anyway, and we'll both be watching it apparently live now because the election. But uh, it's fun because <laughs> yes. I, I never stay up for election things because I'm not as invested in, in politics as Valley is. But... Uh, <laughs> Hey, I'll get to see both things happen at the same yeah. time, I guess, which will be interesting. What a fun night. <laughs> yeah, my my grandfather will be staying up for that because that he always stays up for Because he elections. loves the Game Awards. Yeah, she loves the Game Awards. He wants to see if Devil May Cry 5 is going to take it or not. all night, every year. Oh, dear. Uh, great, so let's kick things off. Uh, we're going to do Game of the Year last, but the way this works is we go through all the categories that we care about, I should say, because there's a bunch of eSports shit that I... <laughs> <laughs> we have no connection. Boy, not only do we have zero idea about anything, but we just couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we'll go down all the categories and we'll pick what we think will win and like a choice that we would probably like to win, let's say. Yeah. Um, cool. So let's kick it off with action game. Uh, every year we talk about this, it's like... <laughs> This do, like these games what don't make any sense together, but whatever. Uh, so Apex Legends, Astral Chain, Modern Warfare... Devil May Cry 5, Gears 5, and Metro Exodus. It's like, Metro Exodus shouldn't be in there. If we, if you're splitting between action game and action adventure, Metro Exodus should be an action adventure, not uh, Yeah, action. that's the thing, like, action game sounds crazy as alone as it is, but then to have another category called action slash adventure game is bizarre. Because the action yeah. game they define as, for the best game in the action genre focused primarily on combat. Yeah, but like, you've got first-person shooters and third-person platinum games right like that there's no cohesion the common, the common thread is combat apparently okay i well yeah i guess i guess that to some extent i understand where they're coming from there um combat is the core focus of eh, most of these um, sure what do you think's gonna win oh 
I think because Apex Legends isn't nominated in stuff like Game of the Year, I think this is a good category for it to win. Um, and it is obviously first-person shooter, combat-focused. Um, yeah. So, and it was quite surprising as well, wasn't it? Like, it was quite... I, I, they kind of missed the boat and to some extent in terms of what we were saying before about... Um, I've forgotten what even the format is called. When Battle Royale. Battle Royale. Um, but I think the numbers stayed pretty good with Apex Legends, although, of course, there was a big drop-off. And yeah. they kept going with content with that game. And I've absolutely loved it. Uh, so I'd probably expect it to win, and it'd probably also be my game I would want to win. Cool. Uh, for me, I think Apex is going to pick up awards in like best ongoing game type stuff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so my pick here would probably be... I feel like they're going to give the nod to Devil May Cry 5 because I think that there are other categories that that game just doesn't appear in. Um, and it was really fucking good. Like That game is excellent. Uh, and if we're talking about pure action, like Devil May Cry 5, I think, epitomizes that better than a lot of these games does. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to say that. And then personally, I mean, I'd probably like to see, I'd like to see Astral Chain win something because I do, do like Astral Chain a lot. Um, so I could go either way with either Astral Chain or Devil May Cry 5. But, uh, yeah, I think both of those are more, for me, the category of action game shouldn't have shooters in it, but that's my opinion. So, (laughs) you know, um, it should just be a shooter category, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird because every genre is everything and nothing's, yeah. I, I really don't agree with genre awards, but we still do them apparently, um, which is fine because it just means that more things will win. But a lot of the time, there are all these games that are just nominated in multiple categories, and it's it just gets a bit strange. Yeah. Um, so onto action adventure, we've got Borderlands Three, Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil Two, Link's Awakening, and Sekiro: Shadows Die Twice. I think Control's going to win it, actually. Okay. Um... I don't know, maybe Resident Evil 2, yeah, <laughs> who knows. I think it's probably a toss-up between those two, yeah. for sure. I mean, um, I, how can, I don't see how, I mean, obviously Resident Evil is a remake, but I don't see how Link's Awakening could maybe win this category. I no, don't know. no. I, I, it, that game is cool for its art direction. I think that's where I'd probably like it to win more totally, so than yeah. this category. And then, like, there's a lot of overlap here between this category and the game of the, the year, so it's very weird for one to win one of those and the another game to win another one you'd expect right, the same yes. game to win both sure so. totally because if it's the game of the year how can it not also be the best action adventure game exactly and i think totally. sekiro death stranding and control are all in game of the year so right i think i'm gonna go with control uh, okay I'd l- and i'd probably like to see control because i've heard good things about that game um yeah and i think Stuff like Sekiro is not my kind of game, even though yeah. I do need to try more games like it. Uh, and Death Stranding is just a, an unknown. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a fucking anomaly. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd probably pick Link's Awakening to win, but because uh, I haven't played any of these other. Uh, but Control would be the game I think should probably get a nod. Like, if Control doesn't win Game of the Year, maybe that, like, you know how we talk about them spreading awards sometimes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, this could be, like, the second place almost or something. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, Control's a good good choice. Um, then we've got Art Direction. Uh, Control, Death Stranding, Grease, Sayonara Wild Hearts, Sekiro, and Link's Awakening. Interesting category, because, again, showing that the Game Awards are willing to put games on there from last year, because Grease was a December game from last mm, year. Mm. Uh, so... Nice that it gets rep- represented here. 
Yeah, I, I'm a sucker for the bolder art styles winning stuff like this, where when you've got like photorealistic games like Control, Death Stranding, Sekiro. Like, I wish there was a distinction like Giant Bomb used to do with like best graphics, artistic, best graphics, technical. Exactly. I feel like they're in here for best graphics when in reality it's i don't know it is confusing as you say i'd probably go with Link's awakening just because that art style is gorgeous um it is very nice i think it's yeah. got a chance of winning other than that I yeah greece is very cool uh, i'd like to see zelda win yeah my pick would be greece i think greece is a fucking gorgeous game like incredible and amazing things they do with color in that game um i would i would like to see zelda win i think out of the big contenders here, Zelda is the one I think has the best chance of beating the big games. Um, but that said, Sayonara Wild Hearts looks really nice. Uh, I need to play that game though. It's uh, it's on my list at some point to get to. Then we've got Best Audio Design category after my own heart. Um, we have Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Control, Death Stranding, Gears 5, Resident Evil 2, and Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. I can't remember which podcast was talking about this, but they sort of said... The only time you... I think it might have been Patrick Klepek on Waypoint, actually. So he said the only time you kind of think about audio design is when it's really bad. Like right. when it stands out. And totally. Otherwise, good audio design almost becomes part of the background, you know? So, yeah. Uh, I don't... But, but, you know, I pick up on things like that. Like Link's Awakening... I don't know why Link's Awakening's not nominated for this because I love the fucking tapping of his feet in the Pegasus boots or, like, the way he bops enemies with his sword. Like... That is some of my favorite sound design. Um, and I, I guess audio design goes beyond just sound design. But it, it is... I don't know. I feel like it's hard to distinguish a lot of these games. Because like guns sound like guns sound. Um, Modern Warfare, I think, would be a bit of a shame to win. Because it's like, well, it's a Call of Duty game. The guns sound like the guns have always sounded. But I, I think they would argue, fans of that game, or sound experts perhaps who might argue that like the way that the sound def- reflects off like walls and things has evolved right. massively in the last few years and sure modern warfare is like the most modern version of that design and that if I don't, i've not played that game i've not watched much of that game but i've heard the incredible things about the way that like explosions and bullets and deflecting off true areas sound and um so i think that game might actually win just from what i've heard others talk about in that sense not I that think, I've um, ever experienced it. I think Resident Evil 2 could win this because I think horror games, sound design is such a core tenant of, of that type of experience, right? Like, and especially when you got the big guy who fucking is lumbering after you the whole time. And um, I, I was watching Mark Brown's video on accessibility and he was talking about how deaf people have a really hard time with Resident Evil 2 because so much of knowing where that character is is footsteps and, like, sounds of where he's coming yeah, from. I, I've played... I started getting in the habit of playing Apex Legends with uh, my over-ear headphones on, like with the noise cancelling on. And the second I'm in like a metallic building, I feel almost like I've got a sixth sense where I can I know exactly who's where and what floor they're on just from the sound sometimes. And yeah, that's something yeah. that I don't get if I'm playing like with you online where I've got like one headphone in and I'm listening sure, to you. And totally. it all becomes a bit mixed. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think Resident Evil 2 is going to win this. Um, uh, the only game I played here is Gears 5, so Gears 5 has pretty good sound design. I don't think it's going to win, but uh, but yeah, probably Resident Evil 2. Um, community support. So this is the game which is kind of best ongoing game. Um, uh, although it's not, it, it says it's a game that has outstanding transparency and responsiveness, so I guess it's like the developers responding to fan 
demands and changes and requests and things like that and like it very much is the games as a service award but like a slightly different yeah. version of it that's think all about, kind like, of funny they were talking about how could you ever know how could you ever have experience of all these communities because all these games are like you play that one game in that one game you have to be in that one community right and uh, there's going to be very few people who have even played like more substantially played even more than two or three of these games to be honest totally i i think that the game that's going to win this and the one that probably should is final fantasy 14 the reason i say that is because so many of these other games have had negative stories surrounding them right of like people in the community being annoyed at something like apex legends had right microtransactions debacles and fortnite has continued to be a thing where people don't like epic games and destiny 2 has gone through so much hardship haven't not that tuned into rainbow six siege i know people love that game but final fantasy 14 put out an expansion this year that is like people calling it the best story in any final fantasy Mm. mainline or otherwise wow um and people adore that series and of course that game in particular had a tremendous turnaround and i know you've still not watched it bally but like one of the best documentaries that noclip has done is their documentary on final fantasy 14 and the way they turned that game around just astonishing stuff um really really worth checking that out if if people haven't seen it um but i would i would choose if talking about community final fantasy 14 is the game that should probably win this i don't know if i would claim to be part of the apex legends community well you know i like what they've done to that game and i have like almost no experience on these other games so yeah apex legends for the win okay cool uh content creator of the year will skip um esports coach esports event esports game of the year esports host <laughs> esports player esports team all right we're back in familiar territory family game of the year here we go family this game of the good year. stuff otherwise known as the nintendo category for baby games uh, <laughs> uh so this category is usually very nintendo dominated but like here's the thing man <sighs> Luigi's Mansion 3 gets snubbed, right? Like, this game should probably be on a Game of the Year list. It should be. It, it sh- really it's got should. got Metacritic than, like, Death Stranding, supposedly, yeah. and that's yeah. got in there. So, exactly. I mean... I don't know. It's. I think it's because it's a sequel that isn't necessarily doing anything new, but, you know, Resident Evil 2 is a fucking remake, you know? <laughs> like, I, I, I see that there is... Uh, the thing that happens mostly is that if you're a nintendo game that isn't a mainline mario or zelda you're instantly put into this category that is you're not prestige worthy right like there's a certain category of prestige game where most game of the year candidates fall into and if you don't fall into that type of category you're never gonna win game yeah and this year especially like i think luigi's mansion 3 and fire emblem uh god fire emblem three houses has been fucking snubbed that should be in game of the year like it absolutely should like both of those games i think uh surpassed expectation in terms of metacritic uh and meta score and really deserve to be like in at least one of them in that top echelon of game of the year and but nope they've just been plonked down here with all the other family games and the the, uh-huh. the stuff like yoshi's crafted world which is uh, like mm. right even putting yoshi's crafted world in the same category as these games is a bit of an insult yeah that, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. but like that game is not on the same caliber of this other stuff exactly like it's it's not a good game in comparison but um, it's just like lumped in as if they're all the same and it's like 
No, it, it, it just isn't. It's interesting because like usually the family game category is dominated by Nintendo games, but in the past you have like an overcooked yeah. thrown in there, or like an indie game that that kind of uh, also fits that mold. But the nominees are Luigi's Mansion Three, Ring Fit Adventure, Mario Maker Two, Smash Ultimate, and Yoshi's Crafted World. I think Luigi should win and probably will win. Yeah, Luigi should win. I think I really want to play Ring Fit Adventure next year. I think that's going to be a whole lot of fun that we should both give a go um, when that comes down in price because I don't think it's going to sell the best necessarily. But Totally. And also, really like cool. I don't know, Ring Fit Adventure is not a game I put in a Game of the Year awards list. It's like, it's a different thing, right? Like It could be like Innovation of the Year or something, you know? It doesn't have to be Family Game. Totally. Mario uh, yeah, yeah. Maker 2, yeah, we had a good time with that, but... Yeah, Mario Maker quite... 2 is the story of a game that like I thought I was going to spend so much more time with than I did. Like honestly thinking about game of the year and um my own personal list like and that game it's just kind of like where do I put this on my list? Do I put yeah, it on my list? Like it, it's very hard in my mind where the first game was so impactful and right. we already said like it worked far better on the Wii U generally in terms of like the making aspect. It's it's a hard one to kind of talk about in these conversations. Yeah. I also think that Smash Brothers might just win this because it's Smash Brothers. If it doesn't it get Game of the Year, which I think it's quite likely it won't, um, it probably win this one. You're right. But again, yeah. Luigi's Mansion 2 would be, get so snubbed if it can't get this one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then we have Best Fighting Game. We have Dead or Alive 6, Jump Force, Mortal Kombat 11, and Samurai Showdown, as well as Super Smash Brothers. Maybe Smash could get this one then, you know? It's actually got three nominations. It could do. I think it's only... It's only, um, it's only real competition is Mortal Kombat, I'd say. And yeah. I feel like there's some negative sentiment around some of the, the tower stuff in Mortal Kombat with, like, grinding... And people weren't too happy with it. And the fact that it's just come out on Stadia with lag. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that's probably brought it back to people's minds in a bad way. So yeah. so maybe that has an impact. Uh, yeah, I think Smash probably walks this category. Like, no issues. Um, it, also important to say... It's a bit of an outrage if it doesn't win, to be honest. Totally. Yeah, but I'm I mean, it's go. also important to say that games media votes on these awards. Uh, majority of these games media outlets are UK, US, like English speaking based. But there are at least one or two outlets from like... Yeah, I remember Jeff making a point last year to reach out more to Japanese outlets, I believe, but they still make up a much smaller portion of the critical aspect of um, the game's press that they should in comparison to development. Right, yeah. And and, and like um, they have like one from France or a couple from Germany or like three from Italy and stuff like that. So each country within Europe is usually represented with some kind of site that's voting. And there's 80 media outlets. So you can think sometimes like if you have a good sense of the US and UK media landscape that you know what's going to win. But like none of us have any idea. And the majority outside, say like 30 of them are from us uk yeah the majority of those are from other places across the world so a lot of the general consensus games might actually end up taking it even if people over here don't like them as much you know yeah. um yeah. so we'll see uh then we have everyone's favorite award the fresh indie game presented by subway because <laughs> yeah we're gonna have uh, some fucking gonna have some sponsorship involved in these awards love it keely yes look man uh, don't hate on Keeley for fucking doing this shit because he's got to make money somehow, you know. He's got to pay for the glitz and glamour of these awards. Uh, 
So interesting list, man. I I I'm struggle to think what's going to win here, but we have um, really strange list. Yeah, quite strong though. I feel uh, we've got Disco Elysium. Uh, we have Greece, My Friend Pedro, Outer Wilds, Slay the Spire, and Untitled Goose Game. Um, <laughs> Here's the thing, like just what we're talking about about a game that's talked about a lot in the media versus the best of these games. Like I think goose games got a lot going for it in terms of all the media talking about it but from what you've talked about the game and like other critics have talked about slay the spire is just fundamentally a much better game um right yeah but at the same time outer wilds has also Outer wilds is the game that will probably win this i think like i feel like yeah. outer wilds like the other contender would be disco elysium my case against disco elysium is that it came out very late in the year so i doubt as many people will have had the time to commit to it because it's like a longer game um and play through the whole thing whereas outer wilds has had this buzz for the whole year and people have been saying you've got to play outer wilds you've got to yeah, play outer wilds yeah. um and people have had more time to to play that and, and stuff like that so i think outer wilds will probably win i'd like to see slay the spire take it but how, it, it, how much do we know that the people judging these have actually played all the games you know like because if, it, uh, yeah. if well, you're talking you know, about judging a game of... just from dipping into it stuff like goose game would come up the pile a bit you know like maybe for all the wrong reasons where well, like they they choose based on the people who are at those outlets like um people like easy allies and kind of funny they only nominate things if they're in categories that they care about right so like they won't put a game for esports game of the year because they just don't care about that shit right but if they wanted to they could and it seems weird that they would be able to you know that's all i mean like uh, how do you know yeah but like but there is a rule that you have to have like at least familiarity have have finished and, and have people who can speak to three games to nominate in a certain category that's good yeah that's Um, good but then voting and i guess voting ultimately comes down to whether you're able to nominate games into those categories like i don't think that ign gets to vote on esports a player or something like that there'll be separate esports entities that will vote on those awards sure sure um, because they're separate it's it's like a completely different thing it's super weird when you talk about video games strange that they're all in one awards to be honest at all like it is a little bit but i think um, keely wants as broad an audience as possible for this thing and so you have to have to do that then we have game direction um which is a weird award it usually in the past was developer i think or like studio of the year um but this one is kind of similar enough to the actual game of the year award except it doesn't have smash brothers in yeah, it it's which... weird because it's like for outstanding creative vision and innovation in game direction and design so i guess it's like all the non-sequels maybe like but resident evil 2's on this list but then exactly it's a remake like i i don't <laughs> it doesn't understand. match at all that description you're right right so. and so like game direction like kojima stands out obviously yeah. but also if we're talking about creative vision and innovation like sakurai is almost kojima-esque in his control over smash brothers so like how smash brothers doesn't get nominated for this i don't don't really understand this might be the let's give death stranding an award because look how creative and incredible it is it's basically keely's like kojima's my best friend award (laughs) here you go (laughs) buddy um which i've seen a lot of chatter on the internet about ignorant people from ignorant people i should say who are like oh this is conflict of interest with keely and uh think kind of funny we're weighing up like does jeff himself even is he even one of the people or is it purely no 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 he is shipped out He's yeah, not even he's, one he, of the, the nominees. He doesn't nominate my... anything. He doesn't vote on anything. He has no input whatsoever of yeah, the yeah. nominees and the votes. Um, 
and sure you could say there is a degree of conflict of interest in terms of you know he's promoted kojima a lot he's friends with kojima he's in the fucking game and death stranding is a thing that if it wins people are going to be skeptical about it but ultimately that choice will be based on the games press and not him like it's nothing to do with his I mean, he decision is, he is um he does pick the categories to some extent right and you know he- sure he picks that he does oh like he comes up with the categories with yeah, a group yeah. of people so and in many ways a lot of these categories are geared towards the triple a model right like that's just kind of how yeah, yeah that's something we should mention is just how skewed towards the triple a like the bigger your budget the bigger yeah it's like they're like oh the, you know all these indie games let's just put them all in their own category of their own whereas to be frank a lot of the indie games that came out this year are better than a lot of the triple a yeah, ones even if exactly um, even if metacritic open critic does give it mid to low 80s you can still come in here and we'll welcome you and that does feel a bit off at times yeah. It does. And I think that's the ultimate problem with the video industry and the game awards is that ultimately everyone is going to play the big games. And so those are the ones that are easy to put into game of the year nominations because everyone's played them. Um, Whereas the smaller ones, probably better, uh, don't get that attention. Anyway, the nominees are Control, Death Stranding, RE2, Sekiro and Outer Wilds. which, hey, Outer Wilds got on this list. I'd uh, like Outer Wilds to win from what I've heard about that game. Totally, um, yeah. And as we said, I think Death Stranding might win it, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like Death Stranding's going to win it, because people will see game direction, and they'll be like, ah, oh, that means director, that means Kojima, <laughs> the only name I know of these people, so let's get him. Um, then we have Jeff Keighley's SJW Award, you know, which everyone's like, all these assholes on Twitter are like, oh, it's the SJW Awards, like, fuck you people suck um games for impact which never has any it's like a game with a pro-social meaning it, it's basically like i think i said this last year as well but it's like keely's leftist progressive uh awards <laughs> yeah. that will annoy yeah. assholes on twitter um which i'm i'm all for to be honest yeah. so fuck those Let's people um concrete genie greece kind words life is strange 2 and sea of solitude i've never heard of kind words before um that's one that is not on my radar i feel like concrete genie was a game that actually got quite a lot of promotion by yeah. sony especially in the uk i saw it all over my facebook and twitter and well here's the thing um sony now owns pixel opus they bought pixel opus so they that's a first party studio actually it's yeah, a first party yeah. sony game um i i feel like a lot of people are talking about life is strange too in terms of a lot of the way it deals with with race and stuff like that which is apparently well handled um concrete genie is more like bullying almost like type of stuff it's it's mm. it's not going anywhere crazy and then greece is i don't know greece like has a story but is it more art than social meaning i thought yeah it's more thought, art but... it's more like it's an artsy game right that's yeah. the other part of this category it's like Keely just kind of throws games in here where it's like, you know, artsy slash, I don't know, games which are tackling topics to some degree. And Sea of Solitude definitely from like a game perspective didn't do great this year. But um... No, like I don't think the actual video game part of Sea of Tol- Solitude was well received, but I think the actual narrative stuff people people liked to some degree. All right. Um, I think it's this is a hard one for me to call. I will say, because Life is Strange 2 is not done, I feel like it puts it down a notch in terms of the game's not fully finished yet uh whereas concrete genie probably is the one that has the most name recognition will probably win i'd love to see greece get an award even if i don't think greece is the best pick for this particular category um 
but that would probably be my thoughts on it yeah i think i'd agree i think concrete genie sounds good I, I, if it is reviewed a bit better it's a quick sort of game i'd like to give a go um might give a go anyway at some point when it's on sale uh so yeah 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 uh, then we got best independent game, um, another category that just shouldn't exist. But you know, at the, at the very least, it means that more games get the chance to get awards. Uh, so I'm I'm actually fine with that. Barber is you, Disco Elysium, Katana Zero, Outer Wilds, and Untitled Goose Game. Um, I feel like Outer Wilds is going to win. Yeah, uh, again, I think Outer Wilds could get a host of a lot of it awards. Could, to be honest, yes, um, it could do. probably deserves them. Uh, I've not played any of these games apart from Goose Game and I liked it a lot but I think these other games if I do play them I might enjoy more than that game so yeah and uh, a Katana Zero I would like to see win something because it's incredible it's really really good but again I I don't think it quite matches up to Disco Elysium and Outer Wilds which probably be leading the chase for for Critical Darling from the independent community Um, we've got best mobile game which I guess you know Call of, of Duty Mobile. I feel yeah. like that's not in the spirit of this category. No. It feels very out of place in this category. Like, really out of place. Uh, so, Grindstone, on? which was uh, people really liked a lot on Apple Arcade. Um, Sinara Wild Hearts, Sky, and What the Golf. A lot of Apple Arcade representation here. Um, what the Golf is a game that I've played. That's the one I would probably vote for. Uh, but I think Grindstone will probably win from what I've heard people talk about in terms of because for me stuff like what the golf and sayonara wild hearts it's better to play those on consoles like you can play them on a tablet or on a phone but it's not not really designed for that like they work but it's better to play those as actual video games whereas grindstone feels to me like that's a mobile game made for mobile and it's not really a thing that you you can play it on a console but it's made for that platform so so that's the one uh, that i would vote for probably is grindstone sure i mean i don't know much about these games what the golf look cool let's let's back that great um then we have best multiplayer game apex legends borderlands 3 call of duty modern warfare tetris 99 and the division 2 be hilarious if tetris 99 won this i would love tetris to win this category <laughs> so much yeah i think we both would put our uh vote behind apex legends uh, yeah had so much fun with that i think game it's got year. a good chance of winning probably yeah i think it could i think it could um Definitely. but i wouldn't be surprised if out of nowhere tetris 99 stuck snuck in there yeah. and won um, that would be very funny if it did so. But it's Tetris. <laughs> I know. Hey. Uh, narrative. Uh, we have A Plague Tale Innocence, Control, Death Stranding, Disco Elysium, and The Outer Worlds. Um, Not I mean, played I any know, of these. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I know I know. Giant Bomb certainly won't be voting for Death Stranding as best narrative because okay. apparently that shit hits you over the head with its themes as uh, subtly as a fucking giant crowbar. So... Uh, I yeah I don't think I would throw my weight behind Kojima's like very very ham-fisted metaphors um I think something like Disco Elysium or Control maybe um could take this yeah I have absolutely no idea so I'm gonna pass no props uh and then we have best ongoing game which is like pretty much the same games as the community category <laughs> so i don't I... yeah I just, what's the point just let's just do one category like yeah I, again like it's probably keely being like let's give more chances for awards but um yeah apex could win this maybe because it's been ongoing the whole year um and it's a new game this year whereas all these are older games that are ongoing but maybe that says more that they're still ongoing right maybe it yeah. says that Rainbow Six Siege has been going for what four years at this point and is still tanking its way through that it wins. So, 
Oh well. Uh, and then oh. we have best uh, performance. Anything? What, what are you going to say? I was just going to say I was going to go with Apex Legends as well. Oh well, what a surprise, Bally! <laughs> really shocked, shocked by that one. Shocked. Um, best performance. We have Ashley Birch for Parvati in the Outer Worlds. Uh, Courtney Hope as Jesse Faden in Control. Laura Bailey as Kate Diaz in Gears Five. Mads Mikkelsen in Death Stranding. Um, Matthew Peretta as Dr. Casper Darling in Control, and uh, Norman Reedus as Norman Reedus in Death Stranding. Uh, no, Sam Porterbridges, of course. But, like, but then the they've fight. got a, a picture of him in the game rather than yeah. a picture. Yeah, is, okay. I don't know. Interesting, it's, right. It's messed up. They couldn't afford Mads Mikkelsen and Norman Reedus because they're real actors versus <laughs> the voice actors on this list. Um, apparently, Mads Mikkelsen fucking crushes it in that game. You know, chew, scenery chewing and all that nonsense. But, you know, he is, like, the biggest name actor on this list. So yeah. he's not really a voice actor. He's an actor-actor. Um, I I think Laura Bailey is one of the best actors working today, just generally across the board. She is in a lot of video games, isn't she? Oh, she is. But she's also just, like, incredible as an actor. Like, you watch Critical Role and you just understand how insanely good she is. Um, so, I, and she was fantastic as Kate. Like, I don't think it's an amazing performance in terms like the writing is not incredible but like gears of gears of war 5 gears 5 i should say is is much better than i expected it to be on that front in terms of its narrative and and all all those things going on and she she does a good job leading it um i also i've played a little bit of outer worlds and um parvati is like the first companion character you run into and ashley birch does a really good job with her and people seem to really like her a lot um so i'd say either of those two should win but probably Mads Mikkelsen's going to win because he's Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's go Mads Mikkelsen. Um, and then we have best role-playing game. Uh, Disco Elysium, Final Fantasy XV, Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah. <laughs> and Monster Hunter World, Iceborne, as well as The Outer Worlds. I feel like The Outer Worlds will probably win. Um, you know, it's nominated in Game of the Year and it's the game that most people will have played that's an RPG this year think you need to be invested in communities and be invested in japanese games to care about either monster hunter kingdom hearts or yeah, final fantasy yeah i still um, think there's a chance one of those niche ones could win it just because if as long as all the outlets put their specific person who's into that community onto the this opinion that they have right. to send back to keely i think there's a chance that that could win but i do think a, the outer worlds is more consensus yeah i feel like that's gonna win um do you have any hope that Kingdom Hearts will win this award? Ballet? I think there's a chance. Let's right. see it. I think Let's it could happen. It. Okay. Well, Kingdom Hearts is going to come up again because it is nominated in score and music alongside Cadence of Hyrule, cool Death Stranding, Devil May Cry 5, and Sayonara Wild Hearts. Yeah, very cool that Cadence of Hyrule got the nod and you've played that. I just downloaded it uh, like yesterday oh, because it was on nice. sale. Nice. Yep. Um, so I'm going to dig into that when I'm done with Pokemon, uh, get that done for the end of the year. I think the soundtrack's the best bit of that game, Cadence of Hyrule. Um... I've heard some of it online. It sounds very... Like, the remixes seem real good. Oh, it's really good. Like, gameplay-wise, that game hasn't, like, aged the best in my mind. But, like, musically, it was incredible. Uh, I'd love to see that win this category. I think... I don't know what will win. I, I mean, I think Games of Hyrule and Sayonara Wild Hearts are the two games here that stand out to me because they are basically games based around music, you know? Like those two like games. Yeah, but Kingdom Hearts 3 has Let It Go in it, so I think that, oh, like, that might just walk it. <laughs> like, that's, that is the most, that's the best argument for me to say no, because 
that's just taking music I from know. another thing. Like, come <laughs> on, I don't, I don't need that. Um, I agree. I agree. I think Devil May Cry Five got nominated because it has one good song, and but that one good song is fucking killer. Devil Trigger is awesome. I love that that song so much. Um, it, I mean, it does have other good music, but that's the song for Devil May Cry Five. And Death Stranding's here because uh, who the fuck knows? I don't know. Just put Death Stranding in every category. Apparently, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'd love to see something like either Sayonara Wild Hearts or Cadence of Hyrule win. Uh, probably Cadence. I think of uh, Ben Hansen uh on minmax now he's yeah on, uh, was talking about how how is super smash brothers not in this category sure like, i mean it's kind of the same argument as kingdom hearts 3 like degree. smash brothers is just a compilation of music that said you know they do a lot of remixes um, and it's a remix of video game music whereas obviously let it go is a film so i don't know sure i get that i get that but oh well um sports and racing oh, game um snore. <laughs> FIFA, F1, Pro Evo, Dirt Rally, Crash Team Racing. I feel like Crash Team Racing is just going to win because most of the games press don't play any of these other games and don't care. Yeah, I want Crash Team Racing to win just because it's a bit more colourful than the uh-huh. other lot. Yeah, like the, the, all these other games are made for just people who don't play video games, basically. Versus, I, I've heard Crash good Team things Racing. about F1 2019. I think that might actually win. All right, strategy game. Here's where you put our favorite games that don't get nominated in any other category i know i know so we've got age of wonders planet fall anno 1800 fire emblem three houses total war three kingdoms tropico six and Wargroove. obviously you know where both of us stand on these yeah. <laughs> i love that um, Wargroove has gotten into this category yeah i mean it's, it's a... good that it got a nomination yeah uh, for something i know so little about these games that aren't fire emblem and Wargroove. Honestly. yeah because they're the kind of strategy game that we don't have familiarity yeah, with like yeah. they're more grand strategy you know like they're the more civilization style games versus exactly like the tactics of of Wargroove and fire emblem i think um, fire emblem will win though actually yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's um, my vote and it will probably win i imagine definitely i just don't um, think enough people will have played Wargroove to totally. to know that it is far superior <laughs> yeah well yeah. uh so vr slash ar games is your category bally uh we have asgard's wrath from sanzaru uh blood and truth Beat Saber, No Man's Sky VR, and uh, Trover Saves the Universe. Um, Beat Saber, probably the pick here. Strange year for VR. It wasn't anything like as hot as last year. Uh, we well, when Beat Saber actually came out. Um, but yeah, I think Beat Saber will win this category. Although Blood and Truth is a game I've been meaning to get to this year. It's sort of like a five to six hour proper fps experience i'd like to try at some point have you heard of asgard's wrath i was looking it up and apparently it has a really high meta score like 90 something um, oh wow and, and sanzaru yeah. made sanzaru did the um sly cooper vita game i think i want to say like I, I think sanzaru has uh, some history with doing sly cooper stuff that sucker punch didn't do um, well, one thing that is really frustrating about vr at this point in time is like the number of exclusives between headsets like it's i obviously own one headset in um psvr but if you're an oculus then you get like that cool darth vader game and like this game so vader immortal yeah which jeff gersman was not that impressed with i remember him like trying to mess around and slap darth vader in the face and stuff and just wasn't doing anything oh really um yeah but it is it is a frustrating time for vr because it doesn't feel very unified it is lots of different companies with their own exclusives and if you're an enthusiast you really have to go for it and actually own multiple headsets because i still think 
uh, Astro Bot is the best virtual reality game, to be honest. And that is obviously an exclusive, but it's not as high fidelity as Oculus, perhaps. Totally. Um, uh, and then we come to the last category game of the year, uh, which is, I think, one of the hardest to predict in a long time. It's crazy hard. Yeah. Um, crazy my pick hard. would probably be Smash Brothers because smash brothers uh i i just don't know right like there are people who hate death stranding i feel like it's not going to have a unified enough support behind it but like so many of these games have they they feel like niche games like control to some degree feels like a consensus game but also i know people were frustrated with aspects of it there are certain people who like souls games although for sakuro resident evil 2 was amazing by everyone's account but it's a remake like and do we want to reward that and then the outer world seems like it's just a really good fallout and we've not had one of those in a while so i really have no idea what's going to win for the first time in a long time like the game awards game of the year is a little bit up in the air for me um smash brothers is interesting because you don't consider it a game for this year because like the reason it's nominated is because it just got cut off last year um so it's, it's a 2018 game yeah i mean if smash brothers won it would make respawn feel better about jedi fallen order for sure <laughs> like, yeah for yeah and that's the thing we didn't mention right is that there's a certain cutoff point which was november 15th for nominees and most of the games press did not get pokemon or jedi fallen order early enough in order to consider them for game of the year awards right. Um, which means that I think that Fallen Order would have probably had a better shot had it been nominated. I think it would walk into this year potentially, like probably yes. in place of or who knows. I don't know, Smash yeah. Brothers or Outer Worlds yeah. probably, but yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I really like Gun to My Head. Probably Resident Evil 2, just as a consensus thing that everyone loved. Because aside from it being a remake, there's not much you can criticize about that game. Yeah, I'd I'd like Smash Brothers to win. If it, Smash Brothers can't win, I'd like to see like Control win because it's doing something different and isn't a remake. And totally, isn't yeah. as controversial as Death Stranding. Um, and isn't like Sekiro where it's like iterating on an existing idea. Sure, totally. Um, yeah. Same with the Outer Worlds to a degree, I guess that Fallout comparison. Well, Outer Worlds is like it's a Fallout game, basically. It's a Fallout game, exactly. Yeah. So I think I'd like to see Control because I always like to see innovation and good gameplay win. And from yeah. what I've heard, it's doing the best out of those in this totally. category, probably. Totally. So it's a bit like um, uh, what was it? Was it got yeah, God of War beating Red Dead Two? Like that made me feel good. So yeah, yeah. I do question doing this segment sometimes because most of the time the Game Awards is so dominated by things that are not Nintendo. Like Nintendo just doesn't. There's a certain prestige, a certain type of game that the Game Awards is built around, and it is the types of game that are nominated in Game of the Year. And and it is the Death Stranding know, type of game. That it gets. is the Death Stranding type of game. It's it's, it's the reason it's got to have voice acting, cutscenes, normally third person, totally. normally adventure style, often it's, open world. It's what know? Sony does, right? It's Sony's prestige game yeah. that always gets the spotlight, and it's because it's about budget and impressiveness and things like that. And and after Celeste making uh, top like game of the year nominee that again they're like there's no smaller independent games although i guess yeah after worlds is kind of independent in a way or am i thinking about Outer wild yeah technically well not really anymore because obsidian is uh was bought by microsoft now okay so, but there's no so smaller then... games so i'd rather go no. on size than <laughs> say totally. independent but yeah yeah man like 
God, I, I, I think Outer Wilds probably should have been nominated over Outer Worlds. I honestly think that. Yeah, that's, I, like, I given agree. the conversation around those games, definitely, definitely, that's what it seems like should have happened. And as but. we said before, Luigi's Mansion should really be in here. Yeah, but um, again, if you look at Luigi's Mansion, like it's kind of iterative. It, we know that it does more than just that, but yeah, ultimately, yeah. it's just a very, very good one of those. Um, so. Anyway, uh, interesting to discuss nonetheless and go through all of those games listed. Um, excited to see the announcements more than, you know, who wins the awards, as, as usually the case with these things. But, um, you know, we'll be staying up, so we'll just wait for us to talk about it after it's done. Um, we probably won't talk about it after it's done, to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> we always um, run out of time because that's, that's because we've got our own game awards. To, to yes. About. Now, here's the thing. If you missed the Game Awards on December 12th, don't worry. We got you covered. We got Game of the Year coming out of our fucking ear holes, man. And uh, you want to hear it. So, Bali, what's the what's the plan going forward for the end of the year? We've got a big plan. We've got a big plan. So, we are currently recording episode 157. That will be out on Monday, the 25th of November. Uh, and then our first Game of the Year special will be out on Monday, the 16th. 9th of November, I should say. Um, and our first special on the 9th of December. That's in November. I meant uh-huh. December. This is going <laughs> really well, isn't it? Really going right. fantastically. So, our first <laughs> Game of the Year special is out on December the 9th, and that's a Monday. And that will be our top 10 games of the year that didn't come out this year. Uh, so, it's in, in the good old TNL tradition. Uh, and then another the second pillar we've got is on the 16th of december that is a patreon exclusive show that is going to be our top five non-tendo games of the year so everything that didn't come out on the nintendo system our top five of the year a combined list uh exclusive to patrons on uh, episode of tnl ranks that's coming out monday the 16th of december and that's for two dollar and above patrons. two dollars you can watch listen to that show and then the 23rd of december it's the big one it is the top games of the year so this is nintendo consoles uh and we'll discuss a bit about the format because there's an aspect we I'd, we I'd, disagree about how I'd many like games to... we should be ranking yeah, <laughs> this year because yeah. we've played Basically. a lot of games that came out on nintendo systems this year so we'll see we shall see but that will be the top nintendo games of the year on the 23rd of december uh, right before out, christmas right before nice christmas present uh, for you. to wrap up the year and then obviously looking even further ahead we got a good old start of 2020 got our predictions going for the rest of 2020 and we'll also look back on our 2019 predictions from the start of this year come january 2020 which is always fun boy so um lots of stuff happening uh alongside that i i on my youtube channel always do my own top 10 uh games personal and i'm gonna do one too i did one last year nice. and i'm gonna do another one this year sounds um, good so, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm also have... getting to the end of my like top 100 games of all time yeah. thing I've been doing on my YouTube channel, which when that gets done, I'm going to put a giant podcast together and put that onto this feed. So that might Sweet. happen before the end of the year. So you might get like a three and a half hour podcast, which is just my top 100, um, which it's interesting uh, trying to put that together. And on top of on top of those five things we've just talked about we're also into rise of skywalker coming out in december oh god we're gonna, we're gonna do so many fucking sp- podcasts we're gonna have I a spoiler cast that. for that uh we might do one for fallen order we might do one for the mandalorian those are both in the pipeline as well so it's gonna be a big december on tnl look forward to it 
Absolutely. Great. Well, uh, you can find the show and to listen to all those, you definitely want to be subscribed to us in lots of different places. Uh, we are on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are still not on Google Play. They're not in our country. Fuck you, Google. Um, I'll figure that out at some point. We're on Alexa. <laughs> Say, hey, Alexa, play this Nintendo Life. It can do it from TuneIn. It knows. It's sentient. We, we live in a world of robots now. To get down with it. Um, you can find, obviously, the show in various places, but you can find us all over the internet. Our Twitter account is at TNL Podcast, TNL Podcast, where we'll post all links to things that are coming up. Find me at Lord NBZ. Where can they find you, Bally? I'm on Twitter at Ballyman91. That's B A L Y M A N 91. That's the best place to go for all the stuff I'm doing. Like building all that IKEA furniture, really sweating your back out there, Bali. Like like stalking pictures of MBZ in large oh. crowds. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Fun. Very yeah. fun. I yeah, found yeah, him. Yeah. I found nice, him. you did a good job there. Uh, and obviously, we would like to uh, to thank the people who have supported the show, to help us get to where we are. Uh, those are our patrons, uh, Bali. Who are we thanking today? Thank you to our two ten dollars patrons. They are my fiance Caroline and Atari Alex. And thank you to all of our other patrons uh last week we put out an episode tnl takes on social media yeah that, that didn't make sense it sounds like we put out our episode on social media which we did yeah but the episode <laughs> we promoted was it through social media social media there we yeah. go right yeah, yeah, yeah. and as we said come december december 16th it's the it's the big one it's the tnl ranks of uh top five non-tender games of the year so for yeah. two dollars definitely want to check out that one as well cool cool uh and the email address should be the last thing the email address should be the last thing that is this nintendo life at gmail.com that's this nintendo life at gmail.com send in your game of the year lists nintendo nintendo uh all of it everything this year last year all the other years throw it in there cool okay well I think that does this. This is a big fucking show. We've got some more big, big ones to go, but uh, we enjoy doing these uh, these long shows. They're, they're a lot of good fun. But um, we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time for some more. Until then, I don't know. Go and play a video game. Who knows? There's lots of them to play. It's too much. We're all drowning, really, truly, just struggling for air up here. But it's it's worth it. Sometimes drowning is... Um, is I'm going to say drowning is good. It's not. Um, but <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Swimming in video games rather <laughs> the than episode. Yeah. I don't know how to close out the show. Uh, Bally, thanks for being here. Thank um, you, MBZ. Um, thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, I guess we'll see you soon. Goodbye. interludes used on today's show were the gym leader battle theme from pokemon sword and shield copyright nintendo 2019 and 
Look, I'm going to be honest. It's just called Preview 07 from the Jedi Fallen Order soundtrack. There's no name for this song. I, I don't know what it is. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, so, yeah, anyway, copyright EA and Respawn 2019. Uh. Uh, catch us in the next segment uh, when we're going to talk about game, the Game Awards, I should say. Don't do that again. <laughs> God, that felt like a very sloppy edge. <laughs> I'll just say like right. Yeah, okay, catch right. us next. Yeah, that's right. Catch us in the next segment where we're going to be talking about the game awards. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so bad. It's like I can't let you just finish. How like many that. times just... are we doing this podcast? Is like, right, there we go. <laughs> Fumble into the third segment. <laughs> that's good. That's good.